Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Carl Nelson Show. Hey, good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for kickstarting your week with us again. Later, black politics expert Dr. James Taylor will be here. Dr. Taylor will expose the anti-black attitudes of the Democratic Party. Dr. Taylor will also discuss California Governor Newsom's selection to replace Dianne Feinstein in the U.S. Senate. But before Dr. Taylor, the Nubian leadership circles, Siddiqui Kanbon will discuss their weekend summit. The conference is titled staging, uh, laying, I'm sorry, laying the foundation for our own black nation. But to get us started, the Nation of Islam's uh, journalist and talk show host, Brother Richard Muhammad is here. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Richard. Hey, walaikum salam, Carl. How are you? Excellent, Brother. How about yourself? Man, I'm, I'm coming along. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yes, sir. Uh, we're going to talk some politics and also talk about the anniversary of the Million Man March. But let's look at politics first uh, for a little bit. Uh, the, the conflict that we see now between Israel and the Palestinians, do you think that's going to have an effect on, on, the, on the presidential race? Uh, you know, Carl, it, it, it may. Um, because I think you have the, the Jewish organizations, the Zionist um, groups and lobby. That's very uh, powerful and, and, and influential. I was watching the news coverage over the weekend, and there was just, of course, what you know, this very distinct difference in terms of how they talked about what happened with the strike by the Palestinian liberation groups against Israel. But, you know, the Palestinians have been suffering forever. And as they talked about civilian deaths and kidnappings and all of these things, you know, the Palestinians have been suffering those things and more at the hands of the Israelis. But that wasn't talked about or rarely, barely talked about. And it certainly was not front page news. So uh, I, I think that you've got uh, very influential people, APAC and others, um, that are going to push America, and America's already committed to basically do whatever to assist Israel, as if Israel needs assistance. This is not a battle between two nation states. This is Palestinians fighting to be to to maintain their lives and not be exterminated, really. And Israel already gets billions of dollars in in U.S. Uh, military and other aid. And these groups are no match for Israel. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm glad you mentioned it. The, the, the fact of the matter is I don't think many people understand how the state of Israel was, was created. I think once you throw that into the mix, 
people will understand why this conflict continues and why it will always continue, because that is the source of the problem, the creation of the state of Israel. Uh, as you know, they tried one, they, they looked at Kenya, they looked at Uganda, but that was too, that was too, too much further into black Africa. So they created what was now known as the Middle East. And, and, and some people have, have a hard time swallowing that. I'll tell you this, uh, Brother Richard, I was on a junket, a journalist junket, uh, with a group of other journalists and, uh, this white journalist from, uh, from, uh, she went to University of Pennsylvania. I think she was a, a graduate student there. She was part of the junket. So we were in Uganda. So, you know, we saw, uh, at the airport, Entebbe. So immediately comes to me the raid on Entebbe, you know, the movie. And I immediately thought, and I was, and I was telling uh, the guy from African News who was sitting by, I'm just, you know, they, they try to create the state of Israel here, but as you can see, it's, it's too deep in Africa for them to create it. She got up so upset with me. This was like our second leg of the tour. She never spoke to me again for the entire tour, man. She wow. never, and when the tour was finished, she was the one who was curating the tour with all the, the all the interviews and stuff that she did. She sent everybody a copy upset me. So one of the brothers in there, they sent me a copy because that was her job. But she got so upset about that. And I'm sure she did not know because all she's heard is a one-sided story, which we're getting now. But again, you, you have to go back to the creation of the state of Israel. So whenever, whenever these comments come, just, just reflect them. Say, go back to the, and We don't have to get into it. Because those of who you know, know. But those of you who don't and have and are wondering why this, this is going on, start at the beginning. As, as Neely Full always says, you've got to ask questions. Start at the beginning, how the state of Israel was, was created. And so, you know, we can leave that right there, though, yeah. if, unless you yeah. want to comment any yeah. further. Yeah, and, you know, Carl, there's, there's, you know, watching these different shows over the weekend and, and listening to some of the black leaders, some of the black talk show hosts. Now people are talking about how horrible it is that Israeli civilians were killed or injured or captured. But you haven't heard anything about Palestinian civilians, what they suffer on a daily basis. And have suffered for decades. So is it only the lives of Israeli uh, civilians that matter? Or do the lives of all civilians matter? And if that's the case, the slaughter of Palestinians by soldiers, by settlers, by police, and, and all of these other members of the military and defense establishment in, in Israel. So is it all civilians or is it only Israeli lives that matter? But, but few people want to have that discussion. Very, very few. Very few. Yeah, I, I concur. Nobody wants to talk about that or, again, the, the, how this all started, because you all see it in the one-sided yeah. and lopsided. But if you, if you, and those of you who are listening to us right now, just go and Google how the creation of the state of Israel before 1947 and Palestine before 1947. It answers all your questions. And then this is something they don't talk about. This is, this is, this, this is the genesis where, this is where it all started. This is, you know, why the yeah. Palestinians are so upset. And if you understand that, you, you don't have to ask any more questions. You know what, you know what's going on. But the thing is, though, my question, if, cause he says it may or may not influence the uh, political race here. And, and also there's a political race in, in, across in the UK and Germany because everybody's affected by what's going on here. Yeah. And, and some, some people are going to try to use it for their advantage. 
to to say that one side supports one group more than the other, pointing the finger. And I already see the finger pointing started. Do you think this will will really ratchet up more as we get closer to the elections, or will this just be just another event? No, 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 uh, Carl. I don't see Israel uh, and the Zionist groups being willing to just say, oh, that's too bad, let's move on. I think you can look forward to an extended campaign against the Palestinians. It's going to be interesting to see because, you know, Israel has been responding since it started. So they bombed Gaza, the enclave where the Palestinians are, which is referred to often as the world's largest prison because of the conditions under which people live and, and what they're not able to get. But Israel has already started responding. They shut off the electricity to Gaza because they, they control that apparatus, even though the Palestinian Authority, you know, pays for electricity. So, no, no, brother, I, I think they're going to move to slaughter as many Palestinians as they can. It's going to be interesting that as that kind of activity happens, it's going to be interesting to see how much uh, news coverage that gets. Yeah. It, but you know what? I, I, I applaud the Jewish people all over the planet who are supporting Israel. I wish I could see that love and support by for our people when it comes to the African continent. I just wish we could just just have a, just a modicum of support and concern what happens on the continent. Why do you think there's, there's a missing uh, gap right there between many of us and what happens in Africa and the Jewish people and what happens in Israel? Why can they re- relate to Israel? And we, we, some, of, some of us, not all of us, some of us have a difficult time relating to, to the continent. Well, I, I think Carl one one of uh, the Jewish people's understanding of their identity. They raise money for Israel from the beginning. They lobby for creation of that state from the beginning. They literally did everything necessary. They organized and pressured the U.S. government. And then it became a homeland for, quote, unquote, all the Jewish people. (coughs) Excuse me. Except the, um, the black Jews. The Ethiopian Jews, they they have a problem. So I think that's one. The other thing that the Jewish people's knowledge of themselves, the knowledge of themselves that makes them understand that they are one people, white Jews, talking about really. Um, Their willingness to put their money and their resources to protect a state that they feel it's not only theirs in philosophy, but in reality. So they have the right to go back and forth and the right to have businesses there and and the right to always know that they have a country. We don't, we don't have that in Africa. Then um, we, then we have um, centuries of being uh, abused neglected and mentally, spiritually, and physically destroyed. So we, some of us today, call we don't see, we still don't see the real connection in Africa. 
right now, despite the black liberation movement, despite cultural uh, nationalism, despite all these things, many of us right now say that, that we're, we're not related to Africa. We're not Africans. We have nothing to do with Africa. So I think until we first are built or are rebuilt mentally, sport, uh, mentally spiritually, um, we will not see that connection. I think the consciousness is growing, but we will not see the connection until we come into a greater knowledge of ourselves, a knowledge of the enemy, and the knowledge of the fact that we must do for self. I'm going to close with this, because to me it's, it, it, it's a striking example. You know, there's some that are, that are angry, some of our people, that are angry that British actors and even some African actors are getting roles in Hollywood, right? But in Nigeria, you have what they call the Nollywood movie industry, which is one of the biggest in the world. I don't understand why we're fighting over these small um, crumbs in, in, in movie making in America when you got a whole industry in Nigeria that we can get involved in because it's really our culture, our acting um, that really drives and enlivens American culture. So instead of continually fighting white people, which we can always do, that's always there, why not build with your brothers and sisters on the continent and create your own pie as opposed to continually begging the enemy for crumbs and then they put us against one another? Right. And hold that thought right there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Brother Richard Muhammad, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. 14 minutes after the top. They'll be back in four minutes after we get the first look at the traffic and weather in our different cities right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And good morning, family. 20 minutes after the top there, our guest is Brother Richard Muhammad. He's a journalist and a talk show host with the Nation of Islam, discussing the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. And Brother Richard, one of the issues that, that's not talked about, too, especially in our community, is some confusion between our clergy, because they take what they see it's in the Bible, as present-day Israel, was, was what was talked about uh, about Israel and the Bible is today's uh, present-day Israel. Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, you know, uh, Carl, this is, this is one of the things. And, and of course, the Jews... Um, Jewish uh, faith tradition, they're waiting for the Messiah to come back and fulfill the promises that 
Moses made or Jehovah made through Moses. And part of that and their interpretation will be this, this kingdom or this land that will be for the Jewish people. But the problem with that call is that you literally have Orthodox Jews around uh, the world that do not accept the state of Israel as a home for Jewish people. There's a, there's a group on Twitter, or X, I guess that's it's called now, called Torah Jews. They reject Israel. They reject Zionism. They reject a, a state that's exclusively uh, Jewish because they say that the, the Jewish people basically are, are, are a people that are chosen, but they're scattered throughout nations all over the planet. Many of our, uh, and, and I don't know, Carl, how much, I don't know whether they believe it or if it's just other factors, right? Not only clergy, but political leaders. They look in the Bible and they justify what happens in real time right now by pointing to what's written there about the children of Israel. But the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan did a speech, and you can get it if you Google it online or if you go to store.finalcall.com. And he asked, essentially, who are the real children of Israel? And he said, as the Honorable Isaac Muhammad taught, that black people in America fulfilled the prophecy of a people, Jacob's seed, I'm sorry, Abraham's seed, going into a land uh, under strangers that would that that would be served and that would be afflicted by those who held them activity, and after 400 years, God Himself would come to punish that people and to live and to deliver those who had been in bondage. We believe that very clearly to be the black man and woman of America. So I think, Carl, not only the religion, but I think the political and economic aspect of this thing drives a lot, um, as well as the, the organized, the organized power of the Jewish lobby to get their view across and to punish or destroy those who disagree with their view. You know, those things, I think, because I was watching some of the, the like I said, the black talk show hosts and, and, and politicians, and they were saying nothing about the Palestinian side of this equation. And like I said, one one person tried to really hammer a human rights uh, activist who lives in Israel, who was who was Palestinian, and I think they they kept trying to hammer. Well, you know, what about you know? It isn't the the killing of civilians or the capture of civilians? Isn't that a horrible thing? And when the the human rights activists responded. By saying, wait a minute, this is rooted in um, 75 years of oppression, over 50 years of of, uh, oppression, suffering, taking of land, killing people, locking Palestinians up, men, women, and children. 
that that's the root of it. And and the host never kind of got into delving into the Palestinian side of that, right? So, you know, we, we really have a kind of twisted relationship uh, with the, these Jewish groups and organizations. Um, lastly, I'll say this real quick. Israel has a major race problem. The Ethiopian Jews there still suffer. The black Hebrews, when they went back in the, in the um, I guess the 60s or 70s to found their community, and, and when they ended up in Demona, Israel, they suffer. African migrants who come to Israel seeking some escape from horrendous conditions, they suffer. And, t- and uh, you had a, a major um, Jewish religious leader in Israel call black people monkeys some time ago. And these are the same groups that organize and use the same slander, the same lies, the same combined influence to vote to destroy Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. So it, it's 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 a very interesting, you know, dynamic to see black folk come out in mass. Well, not black folk so much, but to see black leaders, politicians, and media folk come out basically for the for the for the most part. For Israel, with no digger deeply deeper into the the conflict, because it's not a war, because it's it's not an even battle between two nations. It's a battle against the most powerful nation in the Middle East and a guerrilla liberation movement. And Israel is far far above the media, the I'm sorry, the military capacity of the Palestinians who are seeking just to stop uh, Israel from exterminating them. Right. 27 after the top of the hour, Richard Mohammed is our guest. He's a journalist. He's also a talk show host in Chicago. If you'd like to speak to Brother Richard, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Sister Fahima is joining us. She's online, too, calling from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Sister Fahima. Good morning, Mr. Nelson, and salam alaikum to your guest. Well, I'll make them salam, sister. Yeah, I was calling pretty much to uh, echo the comment that you just made, uh, because I heard you say exactly what I was going to say while I was holding, Um, and that is that all Jewish people do not support uh, Israel. All Jewish people are not monolithic and unconditionally support Israel. And I remember quite fondly when I was at the U.N. Conference Against Racism in Durban, South Africa, I was there, there was a protest uh, about the privatization of a lot of the resources, and we were in, I was uh, in the street protesting with Dalits on one side and Orthodox Jews on the other side, and they did not support the state of Israel. They felt that it was, as they said, the synagogue of Satan. And there's a group called uh, Jewish Voices for Peace, that do not support uh, the state of Israel. Um, They condemned how they were in support of the apartheid South Africa. And black people need to remember how Israel was in support of South Africa. 
apartheid to Africa. They provided weapons to the Afrikaners to oppress and, and uh, continue the tradition of South Africa uh, that was going on in South Africa. So that's really all I wanted to share. No group is a monolithic group, and the, the there is no unanimous support in the Jewish community for uh, Israel, and it is only the Zionists that are in support of Israel. And that's all I wanted to share. Brother Richard, you want to respond to anything she said? Uh, I I think very excellent comments in in terms of bringing bringing two things into focus. One, that many Orthodox Jews, they reject Israel as a state because they say it was a man-made creation. Many of the Orthodox Jews say there can only be a state if it is established by the Messiah. That's one. And lastly, the sister made some very good uh, comments and read some good or shared some real, some very good history about Israel and its support for South Africa. Not only did Israel give them weapons, but Israel also gave South Africa's nuclear program. White mm. South Africans that were destroying black people. All right. Thank you, sister, for him. Uh, you know, we're coming we're kind of on break. When we come back, though, I want to talk about the Million Man March because the anniversary is coming up. But how do we, how do we, for, for black folks who are listening to us right now, how do we decipher what, what is real and what's going on? What, is there any news sources? I know people have mentioned Al Jazeera, but are there any other news sources where we can get a balanced report on what's really going on? Yeah, well, I think, of course, the Final Call newspaper, uh, shows like yours, the other, uh, some of the other places I go, Al Jazeera, um, Press TV, which is the English language um, station for Iran. I think the other thing is look up groups that are organizing, um, Palestinian groups and others that are organizing against the war, and you can get information from these organizations too especially those like the Answer Coalition, which uh, organized some protests over the weekend. So they're, they're Palestinian groups in America. And at least you can get a different perspective, some different information, a different news source. But if you look at basically any of the mainstream media channels, you see the same story, the same propaganda shared the same way. Yeah, why is that? Uh, how can we not, you know, as a journalist yourself, where do you use your source for for balance for balanced reporting? Why are we not getting a balanced reporting on this particular issue? Uh, I think again, it comes back to the power, the concentrated focus, and use of organized power by Jewish organizations and Zionist organizations to promote what they want and to destroy anything that's other than what they want. I think we, 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 it it, kind of goes back, Carl, to what you said about your desire that black folk in America be as invested in Africa and African affairs as Jewish people are in, in, in the state of Israel. These people are committed to these Zionist Jewish groups, individuals, and organizations. 
they're committed to the state of Israel. So they don't care who you are. You can be Jewish and speak out against Israel, and they'll call you anti-Semitic. They'll call you a self-hating Jew. So that narrative, I mean, along with the fact that the U.S. is Israel's greatest benefactor in terms of money uh, coming from Jewish people, as well as billions, billions in American tax dollars flowing into Europe. Well, that kind of money isn't spent without there being a a communication and propaganda and messaging um, aspect to it. The other thing I noticed, uh, Carl, is that Jews— I'll tell you what, hold that thought right there, Brother Richard. Hold that thought right there. We've got to take a quick break. I'll let you finish your thought on the other side, too. And when you come back, also explain to us, when you say Zionists and Zionism, is that a pejorative? Is is that something negative for the Jewish people, or or is it it a respectable term? 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. We mentioned we've got to get caught up on the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with Brother Richard. you want to join this conversation? 800-450-7876. Right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. 19 minutes away from the top of the hour with Brother Richard Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. He's a journalist there with the newspaper and also a talk show host in Chicago. If you got a question about what we're discussing, you reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we go back to another, just to remind you, coming up later this morning, you're going to hear from black politics expert Dr. Uh, James Teller. He's, he's going to expose what he, what he terms the, the, the bias in the Democratic Party. So he's going to talk about that. Also, before Dr. Taylor, though, Newman Leadership Circles, Brother Siddiqui Kambal, We'll hear to talk about this weekend's uh, summit. And later this week, you're going to hear from holistic Dr. Stephen Tate. Now, a lot of folks uh, got health challenges, and I'm telling you right now, please take advantage of Dr. Tate when he comes on. He's one of the foremost uh, naturopathic doctors out there. You know, a lot of folks in the entertainment industry, athletes, uh, entertainers, uh, who else? Uh, uh, politicians, they keep him on speed dial, and they just call him up there. So we managed to cover some time to speak with us because uh, you saw some, some of our, our leaders that are having health challenges, and we want everybody to, to take care of themselves, so he'll be here. Also, Dr. Clinical Psychology, Jeff Mendes, will join us, and we're going to celebrate Dick Gregory's birthday later this week, at the end, towards the end of the week. So if you had a chance to run into Dick Gregory or him impact your life, we'd love to hear from you right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Brother Richard, I got two tweets for you during the break, so I'm going to combine them. Uh, one of the first tweet says, uh, we don't have a dog in the fight so we should just sit this uh, outside this sit this out and just watch it nothing in there for black america and the other tweet says what is the significance that people must die on both sides why is all this necessary well i i think we do have a dog in this fight one it's billions of black folks tax dollars going to israel paying for weapons and that's just one aspect of it the other thing is, we, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that, that we, um, some of us, have this view. We are an international people. You know that black Jews and you know that black Palestinians? Both. That are suffering in Israel as well. We absolutely have a part. The other thing is the duty we have to stand up and speak the truth. 
We've always done that as a people. Always. But the fact that your money is over there and this war would not be possible without your tax dollars, that should be enough to get you involved. And the other thing is, like I said, the same types of tactics in terms of propaganda, misinformation, and lies that they use to justify the subjugation of the Palestinian people, they are using right now to try to destroy Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. What was the second question, Carl? Uh, why do so many... Let me see, let me pull it up here. The, the, the person said, uh, why so many folks have to die? Let me see. What, what is the significance that people must die on both sides? Why is this necessary? Well, it's, 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 it's not necessary. It's not that it has to happen. But you have people that have been under uh, occupation, human rights um, abuses, uh, Palestinian women raped, Palestinian journalists killed, uh, Palestinian men, women, and children jailed and slaughtered, uh, the land the Palestinians had taken from them. I'm talking about still being taken. Not to mention the fact that land was taken from them when Israel was established. So you've got the Palestinians that are literally fighting for their life because they really don't have the military might to, to, to oppose Israel. They don't have aircraft carriers. They don't have huge bombers and planes. They don't have that. And that's the other thing about the way the mainstream media portrays this situation as if it's against two equals. It's not. It's, it is the result, as one of the Palestinian analysts said, that I saw over the weekend of years of the, the murder, the abuses, the human rights violations perpetrated on Palestinians for seven decades and almost six decades of a more intense type of Oppression, And the other thing is that Israel <clears throat> has elected and has empowered what's been called the most right-wing government ever right now. So that should really tell you something about what the Palestinian people are facing in that country. They're fighting to not be exterminated. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On their own land. But let's move on at 14 away from the top there, because we, you know, we, this is not what we were going to talk about, but just roll that yeah. way sometimes. <laughs> the Million Man March, the anniversary is coming up, the Million Man March. Can you take us back to the preparations leading up to, to the anniversary, to, to the day, the actual day of the march? 
Yeah, I'm 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 going to try to get some real quick history. We know Carl. That oh no, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say we know because many don't know. The Million Man March was the largest gathering um, when it happened on October sixth. I'm sorry, October sixteenth, nineteen ninety five, where almost two million men came to Washington D.C. at the call of Minister Farrakhan, despite major opposition, despite no of the none of the major civil rights uh, groups um, supporting that call. Some of the local chapters of these groups, like the NAACP, local chapters participated. There was opposition from uh, the black mainstream church organizations, but it was the small pastors in cities around the country that worked to organize. It was people like Dr. Conrad Worrell of the National Black United Front. The march was opposed from the beginning. It was ridiculed. It was mocked. So when you read accounts today, it seems like everybody just got together. That's not what happened. Everybody got together the day of the march when Minister Farrakhan allowed people who had been against the march, actually allowed them to speak at the march. Um, but the uh, the minister, you know, it goes back to the, the it goes back to 1993. The minister was invited to the 30th anniversary of the march on Washington. And he was unceremoniously disinvited after Jewish, um, again, Zionist, Jewish organ, Jewish um, individuals like Peter Lerner and others decided they didn't want um, Farrakhan at the march. That led to really uh, some major conversations in our community. And so the minister was invited to the National African American Leadership Summit at the time hosted by the NAACP, and then executive director of the NAACP, Dr. Ben Chavis. Shortly after the meeting, Dr. Chavis was uh, removed, and uh, um, the minister, though, had started, he made a speech, and he talked about, he mentioned, but he was talking about the plight of our community. And he talked about and at a certain point, he asked, um, would, would the men be willing to um, go to Washington and to basically um, deal with the issues of our community? Resounding yes. The minister had already been doing uh, about a 10-year cross-cross in the country, a uh, stop the violence tour. So the seeds were already planted at that time, even though he didn't know it. Uh, Dr. Conrad Worrell and others, Dr. James Bevel, um, were major organizers, and you had local organizing committees, regional organizing committees, and a national organizing committee. And they went to work, and a minister went to work, crisscross in this country. And while the mainstream black leadership and politicians condemned, the majority of them condemned the march. It but Carl, it was like a fire when it went through our community in terms of men as well as women who, because we were, we were looking at such dire circumstances, growing conservative um, problems and philosophy in the country, the violence among us, 
and just a very, very negative drug problems, violence problems, economic problems, all of these problems that no one was solving. So it started there and, and then administered toward the company, I'm sorry, toward the country, speaking at churches and auditoriums and arenas, um, calling for this million-man march. Um, it was ridiculed. I remember the Washington Post saying that in order to get a million black men in one place at one time, one out of every 11 black men in America would have to be in the same place at the same time, and that was impossible. Um, Dr. Cornell West at a certain point joined the effort. Uh, Bev Smith, the great radio host, hosted a very important uh, program on uh, BET at the time featuring a minister in Dr. West. Bob Johnson um, of BET took out a, an ad um, supporting the march. The black press got behind the march. Black radio got behind the march. Little Brothers in the Street got behind the march because this, this the minister's, minister's articulation, what eventually became atonement, reconciliation, and responsibility for us to take control of ourselves and our own destiny really rang. And on that mighty day, uh, October 16, 1995, some 2 million black men showed up um, in Washington, D.C., Often at the with the support of the well, there was there was tremendous support for the march among black women. The march would not have been successful without them. Yeah, as you, as we stand where we are now in 2023, do we need another march on Washington? Do we need we need another million man march? Do we need to gather the brothers back to the Capitol again? Because of all the problems that are surrounding us right now. Yeah, you know, Carl, I don't, I don't. I don't know. I, I think that what we need to do is to. And I tell you, I hold up the right there, brother Richard, because we're gonna take a quick break. I'll let you finish your explanation because some people say that okay. it can't be duplicated. It's one of these iconic things that take place in history. Just look, look back at it, absorb it, and, and just respect it. But don't try to copy it. I want to get your thoughts because some people are asking that we need to get together again. We need to have more of these summits. Where we can have, discuss our issues and go back into our communities and deal with them personally. So I want to get your thoughts on all of that when we come back. But we got to take a quick break to check the traffic and weather in our different cities in the news in Baltimore. Folks, you want to join us, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 4. 1450 WOL, where information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. Minute after the top there, I'm going to we speak with uh, uh, Brother Siddiqui Kambon. But let's wrap up with Brother Richard Muhammad from the Nation of Islam. He's uh, a journalist of the Nation of Islam. He's in charge of the newspaper and also a talk show host in Chicago on WVON. He'll let us know when he's on the air. But uh, Brother Richard, I'll let you finish response to that question about whether or not we'd need another Million Man March right now. Because it seems like this, yeah. the problems we had back then are still here today. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know, Carl, if we need another march as much as we need to embrace the spirit, the principles, and the organizing of the march. Because the whole point of the march was not just to gather. It wasn't to call on white people to solve our problems. It was for us to gather for atonement, reconciliation, and responsibility 
but take that back into our homes to reconcile, atone, and take responsibility in our homes, then in our neighborhoods, then in our communities, then in our cities. And that's definitely needed, no doubt about it. Um, and I think we need to get good information about the of the march um, and this weekend at Mosfayam in Chicago. Um, there will be some activity on Saturday afternoon and then Sunday. Student Minister Ismail Muhammad will be speaking, as this will be the 28th anniversary of the Mayor March. But I think you got a brother that's coming on. That's the the head of an effort. If we, that if we want to change things, we need to get behind him, and we all need to go to work right now, because if we've heard the information. If we feel it is valuable, if we if we attended the march, let's go right ahead now, and let's put into action the memories, the ideas, the intentions, and the vision for our people. I think that organizing and activity is needed. But Brother Siddiqui is going to come out with some very important information and opportunity. All right. And before we go to Brother Sadiq, Cliff in Connecticut has a quick question for you. Cliff's on line two. Good morning, Cliff. Your question for Brother Richard. Assalamualaikum. It's Brother Richard from WVON. Yes, sir, Brother Cliff. Yes, sir. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> Good to hear your voice, brother. Hey, listen, I'll be brief. Hey, I wanted to find out, I've been trying to search in terms of finding out from the minister the event that took place in Israel. So how do I do that, or will the minister be speaking on that in the near future? Um, I don't know, Cliff, but but definitely to come out to Mosh Mariam, 7351 South Stone Island Avenue um, in Chicago, and stay tuned to this next segment. I'm not going to steal Siddiqui's thunder, but there's going to be some information coming out that I think you'll be interested in. All right, great. Assalamualaikum, brother, and thank you so much, Bill. Good to hear your voice. Good to play. hear you, Cliff. Thank you. All right. And Cliff mentioned you're on, on VON. Uh, when are you going to be on WVON, uh, Brother Richard? Well, by Allah's grace, uh, Carl, we're on WVON AM 1690, iHeartRadio, and WVON.com, as well as the WVON AM 1690 Facebook page. We are on Tuesday evenings, 9 to midnight. Every Tuesday, 9 to midnight, WVON.com. WVON AM 1690 in the Chicago area and the iHeartRadio app, 9 p.m. to midnight Central Time. All right. Brother Richard, thank you for sharing those thoughts with us uh, about the Million Mile March. Uh, and the, the actual anniversary, when is it? Is it next Monday or is it uh, this weekend? Did you know? No, it's the 16th. It's the 16th. Is that a, I think 16th. that's a Monday again. Oh, okay. I think that's a Monday right. again. Yeah. All right. On Monday again. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Brother Richard. We're going to have some great, uh, great programming at NOI.org this weekend, Saturday afternoon, evening, and then on Sunday. NOI.org. All righty. And thank you for all the work that you do, brother. Uh, Thank you for what you do, Carl. Keep doing it. We need you. All right. Four after the top there. Brother Siddiqui Kambong, good morning. Welcome back. Yes, sir. Good morning, Carl. Uh, Brother Siddiqui just got a salute from Brother Richard there that's going to explain to us what you will be doing uh, this weekend with the Nubian Leadership Circle. Can you fill us in? Sure. Well, essentially,
basically what it is is that uh, for your listening audience, uh, the Nubian Leadership Circle is uh, is our mission is to in fact uh, bring together African slash Black leadership all across the country and the world. You know, kind of you know gather our brilliant minds and and our resources to see what uh, we can do uh, for ourselves. And so essentially what it is is that, and let me just say this, Kyle, is that this is not like I woke up in the middle of the night one night with a vision. You know, I was involved with, um, of course, I was the uh, core, uh, the greater Boston uh, chapter uh, region uh, director for the Million Man March. Then I was also involved with the National African American Leadership Summit that that was uh, led by uh, Reverend Ben Chavis, you know, known as Nails. And so what happened was that um, the goal of Nails was to, in fact, bring together um, the leadership, and it didn't fulfill its total mission. But I saw the uh, basic, uh, you know, in terms of the potential of this happening. So I actually had... um, a, a blog piece that I was doing called the Nubian Leadership Circle and got a pretty large uh, circulation and a lot of folks were saying, well, look, uh, can't you bring it to a, a physical reality? So uh, about three years ago, gathered in D.C., uh, we actually say well, the NLC is based in D.C., and I presented a draft to about 30 folks who wrote the mission, went through it line by line, and so essentially... Uh, what it is is that on a virtual basis, we have uh, done eight summits in the uh, last, well, the number nine coming up um, this coming uh, Saturday the 14th will, will be our ninth summit in three years. And let me just say that in my conversation with Minister Louis Farrakhan, uh, the minister said, well, Brother Siddiqui, with all due respect, he said that Rather than on an annual basis, he says, would I consider doing summits on a quarterly basis from a momentum perspective? So that's why when I talk to people and they say, what, you've been around for nine years? And I said, no, this is our third year and our ninth summit. You know, and I have to give credit to a lot of folks who, in fact, have been involved through the years in terms of the work that we're doing. And so... Uh, what it is is that uh, we have, you know, we've done everything on a virtual basis, but we have the Nubian Leadership Circle. Uh, we have the website, uh, NubianLeadershipCircle.com, uh, that folks can go to. And we have like eight uh, cadres, you know, like a family essence, spiritual renewal, economic development, uh, you know, you name it. And these are, we have these various cadres. And so it's really important that we emphasize that uh, the summits are not our ultimate goals, Kyle. Uh, What it is is that the summits themselves, we consider them to be, uh, quote-unquote, very important, but they're actually uh, assessment and reports as it pertains to progress that's made in between summits. So the examples I'll give is that we have what we call working shops, and our co-facilitators, we have co-facilitators uh, for each 
cadre. And in between summits, we have our work that is done. And let me just say this, that uh, we've had uh, excellent turnouts uh, for each summit. And so the co-facilitators have uh, email folders, respective folders. And so what it is that when we do the working shops, that all of the folks who have participated in their various cadres are reached out to with the understanding that uh, for those who are interested uh, will actually participate. So we're coming up here on uh, summit number nine, uh, 14th of uh, October, beginning at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time, virtual, and essentially, uh, the program format, in many respects, uh, is similar in that at 10 o'clock a.m., we'll begin, you know, with the introduction. And then, uh, like from 10.30 to 11.30, we have the cadre breakout sessions wherein the co-facilitators uh, meet with those who have registered uh, in their respective cadres to talk about the work that's being done. Uh, then we have the plenary session, wherein uh, the uh, come back together again once again. The co-facilitators get reports in terms of results of their breakout sessions. And then uh, we're very pleased with the fact that uh, the closing remarks were made by none other than Minister Louis Farrakhan himself. He was actually uh, did the closing remarks for uh, summit one, and now we're at summit number nine, and he has graciously agreed to um, pre uh, present once again. And let me just say, Kyle, that uh, the minister has been a big supporter of what we're attempting to do. As he stated, he said, Brother Sadiq, he says, what you and your people are trying to do, uh, he says, it's never been achieved before in terms of trying to bring us together as a people uh, and uh, share, you know, ideas and our resources in terms of the common good, you know, our theme in terms of um, that we have uh, for this year is, you know, you know, laying the groundwork, building the groundwork uh, for our own black nation. And so uh, we're getting ready to do number nine virtually. And the intent being that we're contemplating the possibility of number 10, uh, being uh, in person, because, you know, with everything that's been happening with COVID and what have we haven't been able to do that. So uh, it's a large project. Uh, I really appreciate the folks who have been working with us. And like I said, we've got folks from not only in-country, in but also like um, Haiti, um, uh, London, and even in France. So the the potential is huge. And the one thing that we talk about, Kyle, is that uh, our ultimate goal is that we want to have Nubian Leadership Circle uh, summit satellites all across the country and beyond. Like we have uh, summit, you know, Nubian Leadership Circle summit satellite New England that involves Rhode Island, uh, Massachusetts, and Connecticut working in conjunction with each other with the hopes that one, you know, at some point uh, they'll have the type of stability where they'll be able to branch out on their own, and we want that to happen all across the country. Uh, we've got folks 
in New York who said they're interested in sitting down and having a conversation. Uh, also, North Carolina. So um, that essentially kind of gives you a, uh, a sense of where we're going with this. And I'll just say, Kyle, that I tell folks that, you know, we're just laying the, uh, the groundwork, if you will, for this with the uh, hope is that, like, for instance, uh, I would hope that my grandson will be, in fact, uh, training his grandchildren to be involved in the work of the Nubian Leadership Circle from a generational perspective in terms of what we're trying to build. So, you know, I believe that... Yeah, uh, I like that. Uh, uh, generational wealth. Hold that thought right there, Brother Siddiqui, because we got to take a quick break. 14 after the top of the hour. we got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though. Brother Siddiqui, you want to join this conversation? Hit us up at 800-450-7876. He'll explain uh, this weekend's conference, laying the foundation for our own black nation. We want to find out what that entails. How can we help? What do you need? Reach out to us again at 800-450-7876. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top there, that guest, Brother Siddiqui Kambon. Brother Siddiqui is with the Nubian Leadership Circle. They're having their ninth weekend summit uh, uh, starting on Saturday. And this uh, the, the title is Laying the Foundation for Our Own Black Nation. Uh, my question to you before we left for the traffic and weather update, Brother Siddiqui, was what are some of the things we need to, to create our own black nation? What do you think are the most important thing we need right away? Well, I, I, let me just say this, I believe. First of all, first and foremost, Kyle, that we have to believe in ourselves in terms of what our capabilities are. We always talk about what we cannot do when the bottom line is that we need to talk about what we can do. And like, for instance, when we, you know, when we hear the uh, talk about uh, poverty in the quote-unquote black community. And so, of course, when you look at the fact that uh, uh, our GNP, Gold Standard Product, annually is like about $2 trillion. And, we, and as, as a nation within a nation, we'd be ranked number nine out of, because uh, I think I heard Brother Nuri Muhammad talk one time about 222 countries. We'd be the ninth wealthiest in the world. So it's, it's not about a lack of wealth. It's about what we do with our wealth and how we waste it when we should be, in fact, building our own institutions. Like even when we talk about the whole issue of uh, reparations, uh, from our perspective, it's like we don't want to see folks get individual checks and run back, back out and give it right back. What we're saying is that there should be an economic development fund that's overseen by our economic uh, experts that, in fact, there would be a process wherein if somebody wanted to start a hospital, build a hospital, they'd submit a proposal to determine whether or not it was feasible and acceptable to be done. Schools were uh, right across the board. So that's what we're promoting, promoting right now um, from our perspective. Uh, we expect to be, you know, asking uh, for donations. You know, we're not talking about uh, uh, looking for government grants and things of this nature. It's about uh, self-sustainability. And so from there, uh, you know, we see that, you know, as essentially the building blocks. And let me just say also, Kyle, that uh, the one thing we do not have is uh, – a used cadre. 
and that's for a specific region uh, because essentially what happens is that I'm sure you've experienced it. I know I have is that you go to a lot of uh, our conferences and we have the youth component and they do their uh, presentation and uh, we give them a standing ovation and talk about how they're our future. And then when we move forward with the work, they're essentially kept in the background. So uh, for our summits and for the Nubian Leadership Circle and like registration for the summit, uh, any any young person, 12 on up, is encouraged to register for any one of our uh, uh, summit cadres so that they can have uh, full participation and input in any decisions that are made. So, you know, that's the frame from which we operate because of the fact that we know how essential it is to have been uh, involved. And as I've mentioned before, uh, for the closing remarks, we've got um, Mr. Lewis Farrakhan, but we've had folks in the past like uh, former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, um, uh, Dr. Cornell West, the presidential candidate, um, you know, right on down the line. And so what has sustained my energy and for a lot of folks who have been we've been working with is uh, the enthusiasm. And it was like some folks have said, that they're saying that the times are dictating uh, the direction that we have to take. And that's why there seems to be uh, a great deal of enthusiasm in terms of what we're promoting because of the fact that we know what's going on up there, Kyle, in terms of the issues of white supremacy and where things are going. And uh, if we do, don't do for self, then we got a problem. So we've got the summit coming up on 14th of October. And we're encouraging, encouraging folks to participate. Uh, they can go to www.nubianleadershipcircle.com. Nubian Leadership Circle. That's all one word, .com. And register for one of the cadres uh, to participate. And uh, we've gotten a, an enthusiastic response, not only in terms of uh, the issue, of course, you know, with the minister, but... As uh, the brother mentioned, you know, we've got the 28th anniversary of the Man Man March coming up on the 16th. And so what it is is that we believe that a lot of folks who participated in that historic event are going to say, hey, you know, we want to be a part of what's going on here with the Nubian Leadership Circle here. So uh, we've gotten a very good response in terms of registrations and uh, we're just optimistic. And as I stated before, our ultimate goal is not just to have summits. Uh, we're trying to put folks to work. We want to have these new leadership circle summit satellites all across the country and beyond. You know, we got some folks in Haiti who are working with us with the intent being that uh, it would be the new leadership circle central, but with the, with the uh, summit satellites, they would be interconnected from uh, a certain perspective, whether it be regional or national, what have you, so that We'd be sharing uh, from information perspective, ideas and resources. So uh, it's a a massive uh, opportunity and effort, but something that we feel can be a reality and and is necessary at this point. And so uh, we're really looking forward to what's going to be coming out of the 14th. And the 14th is not going to be a discussion uh, during the breakout sessions about, oh, this is the vision. No, this is not about the vision. We've already laid the groundwork for the vision. This is about, okay, what's the work that's being done? And I'm, you know, let me just say this right uh, quickly, Kyle, is that, for instance, uh, family essence. Because what we've, this is about recruitment 
you know, an engagement. And so what it is is that we don't want folks to come to the cadre sessions and feel like they're going to have a, a degree in nuclear physics to participate. So there will be, you know, a couple of projects uh, that will be put out there by each uh, cadre. But, for instance, like for Family Essence, uh, one of the projects, they'll possibly have two, is that they're going to be promoting bringing back the weekend family dinner for black people, which we've gotten away from because I know as a youngster, <laughs> you had to be there at that dinner. My grandfather would be sitting at the head of the table. My great uncle took his right, and it, it was about business. And so folks will say, well, a family dinner, well, <laughs> it might seem simplistic in nature, but it's very important in terms of how we come together as a people and, you know, and, and bring back that, that family infrastructure that in many respects is, is not there the way it's been in the past. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, it's about family. 28 minutes after the top of the hour, Brother Siddiqui. Brother Sekou from Baltimore has joined us. He's online, too. Brother Sekou, good morning. You're on with Brother Siddiqui. Good morning. Uh, Brother Siddiqui. Yes, sir. How how do we accept the fact that a lot of institutions and organizations have failed in the past? Uh, I believe we need to go back to your drawing board collectively and deal with that issue because I heard about all these different programs, demonstration marches, like the Million Man March. What did what was accomplished by that? What was the purpose? Well, you know, I mean, the bottom line is it gets back to what the brother from the nation was talking about was that you know, the main man march uh, was an instrument of of growth, you know, in terms of saying this is what we need to be doing. All right. And so uh, what it is essentially is that well, let me give an example. <laughs> uh, I remember and this might for some folks, it might not resonate being important. I remember there was a brother who uh, had a couple of children. And this is before the main man march. And so essentially, uh, you know, he was he was decent in terms of his fatherhood, right? But probably not right. as involved as he should be. And so essentially what happened is after the march, I ran into him. We were at a black restaurant. I ran into him. And he had his two children with him. And he said, you know, Brother Sadiq, he says, I went to the man, man, march, man. He says, you know, he says, I know you was the regional coordinator. And he says... It just, he said, it just took me to another level in terms of my involvement with my children. So I gave that as an example of, of what it means. So what we're talking about now with the Nubian Leadership Circle is the very thing that you just mentioned. 
that we're, you know, we're a coalition building grouping in terms of we're not going out there and saying, okay, this is our organization. This is what we're doing. What we're saying to the various organizations out here uh, and individuals. Let me be very clear. When we talk about uh, leadership, we're not talking about folks who heading up not just folks with large organizations, but it could be somebody who's heads up the neighborhood association. That you know, we're talking about a groundswell of leadership in terms of participating in what we're trying to do because of the fact that, that if we don't have it at that level, then we won't succeed. So what we're doing right now is that, you know, we're planting the seeds and of course, you know, we've gotten a, a very decent response now that, you know, we know that there are some major organizations out there that we've been in communication with that who are looking to see where this going before they make a determination as to whether or not to participate, you know, from a political perspective and everything else. But the bottom line is that with the way conditions are out here right now, that in many respects, a lot of organizations, they won't have any choice but to gravitate towards this type of development that we're promoting out here. They might make a determination they want to do it on their own. But the reality is that uh, we're saying uh, we're doing this in the spirit of Umoja and that uh, we're not saying that uh, this is what we want everyone to do. Because what we're saying, like when we talk about the uh, summer satellite, is that we're saying essentially that uh, you would maintain your organizational sovereignty but participate within the framework of a spirit of cooperation among the many who are trying to come together in the in the, in the name of, of our community. So I got follow up question. I got follow up question. Do you think you're going to do you think you're going to be able to do the things that you want to do before we solve this crime problem? These youngsters killing each other and terrorizing their own people. All right, I tell you what, Brother Sadiq, hold hold your response because we're yeah. coming up on a break. Brother right. Sadiq, I, I I thank you for your your call and thank you for your question there because that's an important question that we see that you know this is something that we have to live with uh, on a daily basis in, in in our urban centers. So we've got to figure out, and it's our problem, so we've got to solve it. Uh, I guess that's one of the reasons why the Nubian Leadership Circle is having their ninth weekend summit. And of course, if you just join us, the, the, the title of the summit the, is laying the foundation of our own black. Nation and a good question, brother. Se- uh, brother Seku in Baltimore posed was, how can we? Do, what are we going to do to solve the the, the the crime problem in our community? Because a lot of people, not a lot, well, some people in our community are committing the crimes look like us. That's a major, major issue, and we've got to solve the problems. Because we saw what happened at Bowie State, and we saw what happened at Morgan State University on those college campuses as well. Okay. Folks, what are your thoughts? You can join us at 800-450-7876. We're going to get caught up on the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. But we'll be back in four minutes with Brother Siddiqui Kambon's response to Brother Seku's question right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV. We're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. Twenty minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Brother Siddiqui Kambon. Brother Siddiqui is convening the uh, the Nubian Leadership Circle's ninth uh, com- uh, convention or conference, if you will. And and the, and the t- t- theme for the conference is laying the foundation for our own black nation. Before we left for the traffic and weather and news update, Brother Seku from Baltimore wanted to know about the crime 
uh, issue. Before we go back to that, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, a black politics expert, Dr. James Taylor, will be here. He says he's going to expose uh, the uh, the racism in the, the or the anti-black attitudes, we should put it a better way, of the Democratic Party. I know some of that might upset some of you, but he's going to expose them coming up later this morning. And later this week, holistic doctor Stephen Tates will be here. you got a health challenge or you know somebody, I know everybody knows somebody's got a health challenge. Please, please take advantage of his expertise. He's going to be here this weekend. He's going to be here on Wednesday, I'll tell you right now. Also, a doctor of clinical psychology, Jeff Menzies, will be with us. We're going to celebrate Dick Gregory's birthday. Those of you who have met Dick Gregory or Dick Gregory's impacted your life, we want you to reach out to us on his birthday coming up later this week. So all this is going to take place on 1010 WLB in Baltimore and in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So Brother Siddiqui, Brother Sekou says we, we have an issue with the crime problem in our community. Is the conference going to uh, tackle that? Is it something you guys are going to discuss? Uh, yes, you know, we actually have uh, economic development uh, component. Uh, in fact, uh, the co-facilitator uh, for that, we have, we have Brother Adrian, but also uh, uh, Brother Doctor uh, from Morgan State, uh, <laughs> who, in fact, uh, is, is is working with us there. And, and let me just say that uh, when I hear the issue around uh, our youth, you know, I, I, most of my adult life, Kyle, I work with youth. And so essentially what it is is that the bulk of our young people are good people. So there's a uh, piece that's portrayed out there, that's promoted out there, particularly by the white media, that all our young folks, all they want to do is become involved in criminal activity when that's not the case. The high percentage of our young people are good persons. We get that small percentage that's wreaking the havoc out there across the country. And so it's our responsibility to provide them with the opportunities that they need to keep them away from what they're doing out there in the street. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's an organization I have here in Boston, the Black Community Information Center, and we're all volunteer. And so some years ago, uh, we secured a building that we had to rehab. And so essentially, we reached an agreement with the city and the state, what have you, that in terms of the repair of the building, because uh, we provide housing for former homeless elders and folks with mental health issues, is that in terms of the repair, that we would be able to uh, contractually uh, engage with black and brown organizations. So what it is is that, uh, you know, I knew young people from crews out here that were doing some things that weren't correct. And I remember there was a youngster. Uh, I arranged for him. He was like 19 years old to have an interview uh, to become, uh, possibly become a laborer for the work that was being done in our building. And he didn't show up for the interview. And so I was upset and disappointed that he didn't show up. Uh, eventually, he reached out to me, Kyle, and he apologized. And he said, Brother Sadiq, he says, you know, he says, I wanted to be there for that interview. He says, but you know, he says, I'm living in four different houses during the week because of the fact that being a member of a crew, he was always watching his back. And so what I'm saying 
essentially is that it's on us. If we provide the resources out here for our young folks to have uh, a positive environment in life, they will, in fact, grab onto it. So it's on us. When I hear this whole thing about, you know, uh, what's wrong with our young people, you know, the issue is what's wrong with what we're doing out here that we can't provide the opportunities that's necessary for them to be able to thrive in this environment because of the fact that no one can convince me that our young people don't want to do the right thing if, in fact, they're given the opportunity. Like, I, you know, when people say to me, they say, well, what is it? why are they out here doing drugs? Well, I mean, if, if you grow up in an environment and that's all you see or, you know, uh, experience, then you think that's the only way of life there is. And so it's about us turning around that environment and making it very clear to our young people, look, there's some opportunities here. It's up to you to make a determination as to whether or not you want to take advantage of it. But I believe that if it's there, they will. You know, <laughs> I well, let me that. jump in and ask you this, though, though Brother Siddiqui, uh, 15 away from the top, there are many, some, not many, but some of our young people, they blame our generation, your generation, my generation for, for, for the failure, for, the, for their problems. Is that a fair assessment? Well, 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 let me just say this. Um, uh, uh, like I talk about all the time, and, uh, you know, that whole, um, the old adage is about, you know, how your parents want you to have a better life than they did. And I think from, in many respects, what's happening for the, for a lot of the young folks who are quote unquote doing well is that uh, they've been told by their parents, look, things are, are good now. There's no reason why you shouldn't do well. So you just do for you. And so in some respects, it's a, a foolish attitude. So I think that uh, in terms of our responsibility from that perspective, uh, we've neglected it. But let me, let me just say that uh, it's, you know, it's complex in nature, but for, for me, uh, it, it's, it's simplistic. You know, when, when I hear people say, Kyle, you know what? Well, a lot of the issues out here are due to the vestiges of slavery. And I say, look, I don't want to hear that. Our ancestors came out of slavery with nothing, rebuilt our family infrastructure. We had our own businesses and schools and what have you. So I don't want to hear anything about the problems we have out here because of slavery. No, the problem out here is that we are not doing what we need to be doing in terms of stabilizing our environment and seeing to it that it's productive and thriving as a community and stop making excuses out here. That's my perspective. I, I don't want to hear any excuses about why we aren't doing well. And so when our young people are saying that they're frustrated, well, to a certain degree, we have to accept um, the responsibility for for some of the things that are not going well out here because of the fact that, that you know, like I tell people, Kyle, some folks might be offended by this, but I think that the whole thing about the whole people of color piece is overrated because of the fact that out of all the folks, uh, like for instance, here in Boston, we have uh, an Asian woman who's the mayor, and everything she does is anti-black. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that that's across the board, but I'm saying what it is is that every group out here, they do for their own, while we're always looking for allies to get to where we need to be versus looking internally in terms of what our resources are to be able to do for ourselves. 
So uh, until we, in fact, you know, <laughs> I tell folks we need to, you know, build, you know, they talk about building the wall. We need to, to circle the wagons, build the wall around our community and do what we have to do for us. And then look in terms of saying, okay, uh, what are we going to do with someone else in conjunction with what we're doing? But right now, uh, you know, I don't want to hear the whole thing about what we can't do. That's not the nature of us as African people. We have the capability, and in many respects, the resources. We just got to be seeing to it that we apply ourselves to whatever we have to do. And it gets back to, like I said before, what our ancestors did to establish the base for us to be uh, to to be here to this very day. Ashe, uh, eleven away from the top. There, uh, the, the question is. You know, we're not going to get everybody to to join the team, so to speak. Some are going to be on the sidelines and watching the play. And, and when we're winning, they're going to jump in. How do we get more of those people to get involved, though? The, 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 the people who sit on the sidelines and feel they don't have a, a dog in the fight. There's nothing in there for them. How do we get them to, to move, to get this step and say, hey, I want to be part of this. Let, let's re- Like what you're doing, this, the conference you're having this weekend, I, I love the title, Laying the Foundation for Our Own Black Nation. How do we get our, our folks involved and see that this is a viable a way for us to move forward? Well, you know, we have to put a model out here of success, Kyle. And, and but, uh, for me, success is about doing for self. And let, let me just say that, uh, you know, uh, like I said, we're, we're about recruitment and engagement, and we don't want a lot of folks, you know, because we have a lot of folks who who participate in summits, and they're kind of on, like, on the sidelines. And what we're saying to folks is that we want you to be engaged in the work itself. So with the success model, that will, you know, we've got folks involved now who said that, you know what, they saw what what the uh, program is for the Nubian Leadership Circle, and they, you know, they want to be a part of that. And so, you know, we're, we're confident that once folks understand the fact that we have the, uh, the willingness and the resources to build our own nation within the nation, that uh, they're going to come on board. There's a reason why, like, you know, let, let me give an example. Quick, you know, we got some folks from Haiti that are working with us. And all you ever see, Kyle, is uh, when you look at the, the white media, it's all the negatives that are going on. And so when we talk to the folks in Haiti who are doing some positive things, they're saying that in many respects, uh, a great deal of chaos is restricted to a certain area. But there are programs going on in Haiti that are very positive. And the one thing the folks don't talk about is that you better believe that there are governments like the CIA. They don't want to see uh, Haiti succeed because, number one, uh, 90 miles off the shores of of this country, they don't want to have a black nation showing that it's being successful. Plus, no one talks about the fact that off the shores of Haiti, there's more oil than in Venezuela. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a very complex situation. So, you know, I, but I just believe to Kyle that the times are going to dictate that uh, folks are going to be coming together, not only nationally, uh, but internationally. And, and, and like I tell, like we said, we, you know, we got some folks from the continent who are workers. We have uh, a uh, international advocacy uh, cadre. And what's going on in Africa is uh, when you hear the whole thing about the coups, so they call them coups, but the bottom line is that 
there's something going on over there in Africa that's very different, Kyle. I know you know that in terms of what's developing. They try to make it appear like it's just some folks who just want to be dictators and they've taken over the country. There's something going on there with our young people. And when I looked at something recently where they said that the continent of Africa, there's 1.3 billion individuals. They said by 2050, it'll be double that. And at least half, three quarters of the youngsters over there are 25 or under. So the biggest fear that the forces of white supremacy have is that those of us here will join hands with the brothers and sisters across the water. And in many respects, that's the, the path to success. But the, the reality is what we're trying to say to our folks right here is that we can do this, do this for ourselves and not looking to someone else to do for us, including uh, like uh, Joe Biden and the whole, because I heard you talk about the whole thing around the Democratic Party. You know, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, they're all the same. And, and and I kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, I tell people that, uh, hey, uh, I don't have a problem with Trump being president because of the fact that it's a clear picture being shown here. He doesn't like black people. He's letting you know that. And so black people are saying, oh, wait a minute, based on what's going on out here right now, we better be looking to each other to do what we have to. So rather than having sitting around and biding our time with Joe Biden thinking he won't do something for us. The bottom line is that we need to need to step up and do what we have to do for ourselves. So it doesn't matter whether Trump's in there or Biden, our situation remains the same. It's up to us to dictate, you know, what we do in terms of moving forward. All right, hold that thought right there, because you're absolutely right what you just said. Six minutes away from the top of the hour, though. we got to take a quick check of the traffic and weather in our different cities and also news in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with Brother Siddiqui Kambon right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Keep Good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour, Dr. James Taylor, our black politics expert, is on deck. We get to him momentarily. Dr. Taylor is going to expose the, the anti-black attitudes of the Democratic Party. But let's wrap up with Brother Siddiqui. Brother Siddiqui, uh, Brother Richard Muhammad, I think, is called back on line two. Brother Richard? Yes, sir, Cole. As-salamu alaykum. As-salamu alaykum, Brother Siddiqui. You know, Carl, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for having me on earlier. I want to answer real quickly because there was a question about what were the accomplishments for the Myanmar March. One, it gave a different global picture of the image of black men and inspired other people around the world to have their own versions of the Myanmar March. Two, 1.5 million black men registered to vote and participated, new registrants, and that stopped the Republican onslaught of 1996, 1996 and sent um, Newt Gingrich and the Republicans out of office if you think that those people were threats to, to our people. The other thing, thousands of children were adopted due largely to the efforts of Dr. Leonard Dunstan and the National Black Social Workers. That was one of the platforms, um, one, of the platform, one of the planks for the Myanmar March platform. In addition to that, the minister went on a, um, an international World Friendship Tour to connect our struggle with our people abroad so that we could build a common ground and build greater support and and um, 
accomplishments and progress for one another. Thousands of uh, millions of, I'm sorry, black men went home and started dealing with their families, starting businesses. Black organizations at the time saw a surge in membership as well, and businesses were started. And some of those same uh, things have been going on for the last 28 years. Lastly, what Brother Siddiqui is doing is so important. We think about the Million Man March. Brothers and sisters, everybody wasn't on board. Some people said it would never be successful. And they put out propaganda to make it not successful. But what Brother Brother, uh, Siddiqui is doing with the Nubian Leadership Circle is a great start. Its success is going to depend on us. But whoever don't come, you decide you're going to be there and you're going to get involved. That's the beginning of us solving all problems. As-salamu alaykum. Well, alaykum Brother Richard. Um, Brother Siddiqui, um, uh, we got to run because we're out of time here. Uh, can, can, can you tell us, give us the details of this weekend's meeting? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, essentially, uh, it's open uh, to black people, you know, 12 years on, years old on up. Uh, they can register at uh, com. It's Nubian Leadership Circle, one word. Uh, we've got the eight different cadres. Sign up for one of the cadres. No, for folks who are new, like I said, this is our ninth summit. For folks who are new, you can pick any one of the cadres. For folks who have participated in the past, We've encouraged them to sign up for their same cadre, so from a continuity perspective, so it's not like you're sitting down trying to figure out what's going on. And we have a national number for folks who want to call, uh, 202-922-6527. That's 202-922-6527. So we're saying to folks, you know, uh, get on board. Let's do the work. Uh, We're looking to, like I said, for number 10 to do something live. Uh, we want to open an office in D.C. because that's our base. And uh, the, the potential is vast. And, you know, just based on what the brother was saying in terms of the minister, uh, the minister has been <laughs> a force in terms of my energy. You know, I've known him for a number of years. And uh, there was a point when I was the interim uh, director of the National African Leadership Circle in terms of uh, the work there. And he's the one who said, uh, Let's do it, Brother Siddiqui. And when I talked to him both conceptually around the issue of the Nubian Leadership Circle, he said, Brother, he says, go for it. You got my blessings on me. That's the type of, you know, encouragement that the minister gives you in terms of how you feel about something that you, you know, and definitely you might want to pursue. But uh, he's an inspiration. Uh, and so uh, the main man, my son, example, and the bottom line is he's a, 
a huge supporter of what we're trying to do with the new Nubian Leadership Circle. We're saying to folks, get on board, let's do the work, particularly in line of what is necessary to inspire our young people and moving forward. Right. And he'll be delivering the closing remarks? Absolutely. Absolutely. He'll be firing folks up as usual with the understanding. So one thing about the minister, his whole thing is that, you know, he'll inspire you, but then at the same time, he'll he'll tell you, okay, now that I've done my presentation, what are you going to do? <laughs> that's, that's what he's about. And, and let me right. just say, like I've known for a long time, he is such a humble individual. He's such a humble individual. One time he came to Boston and requested to meet with me. And Brother Kyle, I'm there with Minister Lewis Rock. I'm saying, Brother Sadiq, I appreciate you showing up because I need your counsel on a couple of issues. And I'm saying, I just left doing my laundry, and I'm here with Minister Lewis Rock, and he wants my counsel. That's the type of brother he is. You know what I mean? Just And my my mom's is my, you know, she was always been my hero, and I always remember one time we first met him and ate breakfast in his mother's uh, kitchen. And the respect that he showed his mother, I should say that that for me right then and there was enough for me to say, you know, I'm with this man. <laughs> gotcha. All right, Brother Siddiqui, uh, you left the information for us and we'll pass it on. Thank you for sharing it and thank you Appreciate for convening time, these conventions with the Nubian Leadership uh, Circle. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Let me just All close right. with this call. A lot of good people work with me. It's not just me. All righty. Seven after the top there. Uh, thank you, Brother Siddiqui Kambon. Dr. James Taylor, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me back, Colin. Uh, Dr. Taylor is a black politics expert, and a lot of people are gaga about these uh, parties, the Democrat and the Republican parties. But you, you see here this morning to expose some of the anti-black attitudes of the Democratic Party. And this may uh, ruffle some people's feathers, but... Uh, Go ahead. What are some of the, help us out here? And what now? When you finish exposing them, with them, what should we do? Well, the list the list goes back, you know, to 1964, um, when blacks finally realigned uh, in the party system from Republican uh, to Democrat. It had been going on uh, pretty much from the 1920s on with FDR. But it was completed by the 1960s with uh, LBJ and the Civil Rights Movement. And that, you know, 30-year pendulum swing um, was when blacks finally moved over into the Democratic Party solidly and, and fully and totally. Even though there were still some lingering black Republicans as late as the you know, 1960s, people like Jackie Robinson. And some people mistakenly thought King was a Republican or a Lincoln Republican. Uh, but most of the black Lincoln Republicans had, you know, died off by the time the realignment happened. But in political science, when a part of the electorate shifts from one party to another, like blacks did in, from the Democrat from the Republicans to the Democrats, that's called a party realignment. And black people are one of the few uh, vote groups in American history to completely transform from one party to the other and at the same time chase the opposition in that party out. So when blacks join the Democrats, they chase all the racists out of the Democrats, uh, the open racists out of the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. But the, the Democratic Party itself has always had a racial problem with black people. It's always had a problem with that realignment because they didn't want us to get too close to them. Um, you know, they like symbolic politics. 
you know, um, and the closer you got to black you know, symbolic politics, the more white moderates, white liberals, and white you know, conservatives would be reticent or reluctant towards you. And that is what you have uh, right now, is that, you know, the Republican Party, on almost every question about black policy preferences is a, a hard no. But the liberal Democrats are right behind them with a, 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 a smile and no. And, and it's always still no. The Democrats are no more inclined to support reparations, for example, than the Republicans are. Um, the Democrats have overseen the mobilization around reparations in California and throughout the country now. And as a party, they will benefit from the mobilization of black people, uh, the black electorate, the black activism, uh, the black marketing, the black radio, black, you know, black everything. Um, but in turn, <coughs> excuse me, they will, um, you know, pivot away from black people and their interests. The closer in the um, primaries that a, a candidate gets to black folk, the more the general electorate is reluctant towards that person. Obama broke that mode, no doubt. But it's still true, in spite of Obama being an anomaly, it's still true that, you know, when white people see us uh, move in one way or the other in the electorate, they tend to do the opposite. So if we move to the Republican, from Republican to Democrat, then the racist element in the Democratic Party jumped out and became Republican. And so the most ignorant person I ever hear is a black person on the Internet trying to explain how the Democrats were the ones that lynched black people and the Democrats were the ones that put black people in slavery and the Democrats and all this ig willful ignorance when they know good and darn well that what was really the thing that made a, 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 a Democrat hateful in, say, 1920 through 1960 uh, was anti-black racism. And the same thing jumped into the, the Democratic Party. It's in both parties. Uh, the whole party system is anti-black, not just the Republicans. The Democrats are, Malcolm called it Tweedle D and Tweedle Dumb. And that's what we call it in political science, uh, the two parties, Tweedle D and Tweedle Dumb. The Democrats and Republicans work together to ensure that there is no serious third-party challenge uh, to the parties every election, electoral cycle. They make sure that nobody can get in all 50 state ballots. They're frustrated. Lenora Fulani was the last person to do that outside of uh, as, a, you know, as an independent candidate. And the only real successful independent candidate to run a 50 uh, statewide campaign in 92, and I want to say 96, rather, around the time of the Myanmar March that Brother Siddiqui was talking about. And one of the biggest outcomes of that was the Laura, Lenora Fulani campaign. And Farrakhan and Shopton lined up with her, and, and there was a Fulani, Sharpton, Farrakhan coalition. I even talk about this in my book on black nationalism, the Fulani, uh, Farrakhan, and Malcolm X coalition and how it worked uh, and, and, and in relationship to the, the racism in the party system. What, 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 what you have with Trudeau D and Trudeau Dunn is they both are anti-black. One is more openly a wolf, as Malcolm said, and the other is more openly a fox. 
Hold that thought right there, Doc. We got to take a quick break. I'll let you expound on that. And Eric in, in Long Beach, California, has a question for you. Folks, you want to join this uh, discussion with Dr. James Taylor, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top there, our guest, black politics expert, Dr. James Taylor. Dr. Taylor is explaining to us there's not much difference between the, the Democrats and the Republicans. I know that's uh, it's, uh, hard for some Democrats to swallow. Uh, but Dr. Taylor, before he left, you tell us that this is what Brother Malcolm was teaching us before he left us. And, and, and that's the whole point of the ballot, the ballot um, or the bullet um, and, and his uh, teachings in, in like 1964 on. Uh, of course, he, he dies the next year. But he spent a great deal of time talking about the two parties. And he talked about the game they played for black people and how they, you know, either ignore black issues or, you know, didn't deliver on them because that wasn't their intention with the black vote ever. It was always just to win. It wasn't to govern. Um, and a lot of times the Democratic Party, again, I'm not, you know, if you sat here and asked me the line item, the two parties against each other and black interests in another line item, there's no comparison. Black people are clearly more aligned with the policy issues and questions and, and positions and platforms of the Democratic Party. They have since 1964. Uh, that's uh, 50, you know, 50 plus years now, almost 60 years. Um, uh, but, you know, so I'm not sitting here trying to suggest the Republican Party is an alternative for black people. It's not, you know, um, but the two party system itself. I've always said in your show, is a real structural problem that allows these two parties to act this way towards black people. The best thing we could do is have multi-parties. We could have a multi-party system uh, with, you know, multiple uh, alternatives who represent different issues, whether it's economic or cultural or political, uh, that group, you know, would get our, you know, that advocated our policy positions, would get our support. Uh, so there's no comparison. Black people realign from the racist party to what they saw as a better, lesser evil alternative. And, and that's the Tweedledum effect. It's not a real party preference. It's really a lesser of two uh, evils that we end up with. Not that we really prefer the Democrats. It's that we end up with them because of the limited options the two-party system has always provided, not just for blacks. But for all groups in America, um, it, it's you know, provided limited options. Um, but more to the point of anti-blackness in the Democratic Party, uh, not comparing it to the Republican Party, but in its own right, one needs to look no further than California and how the Northern California Democrats, who dominate, the Northern California, uh, dominate California and dominate uh, Democratic Party politics nationally with Silicon Valley money, and, the, you know, the politics of Nancy Pelosi, the politics of Gavin Newsom, the politics of uh, Kamala Harris, they dominate America they, because they dominate the Democratic Party. And right now, the Democratic Party is the dominant of the two parties, barely. Uh, and uh, not, actually, not even barely, by a lot, by a lot. The Democrats uh, have way more people in their, you know, party system than the Republicans, but the Republicans manipulate gerrymandering and things of that sort to make sure 
they pick their voters, and not that the voters pick them. That's what the Republicans do. They pick their voters. Uh, uh, their voters don't pick them. Uh, and that's what they do through manipulation. So even though if you would go back to, like, 2007, 2008 with Obama, and to 220, uh, let's say 22, there's no comparison in how many people have become Democrat over Republican. There's no comparison in terms of how many everyday people identify more as Democrat, every group practically, except white conservatives, right? Um, uh, but all of the old New Deal coalition, which was Jews, labor, uh, liberal Protestants, um, Catholics, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and maybe women more, as a more recent emerging group politically were identified as the New Deal coalition. And that was the New Deal, Great Society, a civil rights coalition from LBJ, from New, uh, FDR to LBJ and King. That 30-year swing uh, it was part of the completion of the move from blacks away from the, uh, the Lincoln Republicans to the FDR Democrats, and everybody knows that. Uh, but what they don't appreciate is even if the Republican Party is the more racist of the two, the Democrats are not innocent of racism or anti-blackness. And that's always been the case. Malcolm and Martin and, and Ella Baker and uh, Fannie Lou Hamer uh, in Mississippi with the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party were trying to show us a strategy for how to deal with the racism of the Democratic Party when they created a black a party within, I would call it a black party within strategy, a black party within, meaning blacks within the Democratic Party, and they ran against the Democrats as Democrats and defeated the racist Democrats in Mississippi in 64, and they did it again in Chicago against Jane Byrne under uh, Harold Washington in 1983, uh, uh, when the National Democrats endorsed Jane Byrne, uh, uh, Walter Mondale did. The black Democrats uh, rose up in Chicago against the Democratic Party and ran an anti-Democratic party by using the party system and its name and its labels, but we challenged it independently within, in, in, in Mississippi in 64, in Chicago and in 83. And the tragedy is uh, the, the work of a great political scientist like Haynes Walton Jr., A.K.N.S. Walton Jr., has published, and he's been gone now, but he's published probably 10 books on the full history of Black Party identification and showed that our ancestors in the 1800s tried much more, uh, they made way more effort toward an independent Black Party than we have since 1980. From 1980 backwards, we tried parties regularly. From 1980s forward, we have not really tried a single serious Black Party, but if you Google right now, Independent Black Party, you're going to find about 80 people with 80 organizations, about 65 of them listening to the Carl Nelson show, and they're all talking about an independent party, and they've been talking about it forever, but they have not formulated. So I'm not interested in those people calling in right now and talking about what they got going on in Tuscaloosa. I mean, I respect it. I do as an independent role model that you can set up locally, but I'm not here to have you try to tell us that you have a legitimate avenue for a third party because the two, demo, the two major parties are structurally uh, prevent you from becoming a Ross Perot or a John Anderson or a, um, what was that guy that ran in 90, uh, what was his name, uh, that ran in 90, uh, 90 with the Bush, um, the, uh, who sponsored the Corbett studies. Um, his name is in my mind right now. 
the consumer got. Um, uh, right. Everybody blames, everybody blames on the, the 2000 election on him, uh, you know, for, uh, for Bush. Um, but my point is the independent candidate has very little chance structurally uh, of competing. But it, but right. Uh, hold on there, because Eric's got a question for you. Uh, going back some time, uh, uh, Dr. Taylor, at 28 after the top there. Eric's calling from Long Beach in California. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Brother Carl. Good morning, uh, Dr. Taylor. How, how are, how's yes, everybody? Yes, Great. All right. Um, let, let's go back to 18, to the 1800s, 1877, the Great Compromise. When we right. were part of the Republican Party and a big role player, the Republican Party, and they decided to throw us under the bus with the with the That's Dixiecrats, right. the Democrats of the South, in 1877 with, with the election of Hayes and Tilden, and they sold us the, the the European liberal Republicans sold us out to the Democrats in the South, That's right. the racists. Right. They sold us out, and that ushered in Jim Crow, et cetera, et cetera, and in 1964. They both switched parties. So the Republicans actually became the Democrats, and the That's KKK right. Democrats became the Republicans. They never have been the party of Lincoln. But That's right. I feel like, yeah. So so the only reason I mention that, Professor, is so we can have some type of historical context when we're dealing with, the, with, the, with these Europeans in the Democratic Party and how we, we really can't make no progress with being in the party, not saying that, you know, so of course we know the Republicans, today's Republicans are not an option because whatever they talk about states' rights, our people need to understand states' rights is not about abortion. States' rights was and always has been about slavery. So when they're using the language of states' rights, we need to understand what they're saying in this historical context so we don't be confused in 2023. You, you, you follow what I'm saying, Professor? Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So, Eric, do us a favor and put in a question because we'll come up on a break real soon. I want to get oh, okay. Dr. Taylor's response. Yeah, so, put in a question form for him. Okay. So, so the question, Professor Taylor, would be given all of the historical context following 1877, what is the viable alternative with us in 23, moving forward in 2024, as far as voting and well, i like to I'm, listen I'm, to the brother answer off the air um brother carl because yeah. i'm on the internet yeah i, th- I think right. we should seek uh, no, i think we should at first and foremost seek non-political uh issues in our community and address them uh you know as a community um through you know whatever means we can through our organizations through our churches through our mosques um uh try to provide education i see for example in uh Florida, and I think in like North Carolina or Georgia, black people are beginning to open up their own bookstores. Uh, mother and son opening up bookstores because of the racism of LeBron DeSantis. We got to bring back our barbarism. That's what I think black people have to do. We got to remember Queen Orby Mother more. And I'm not just being, you know, uh, symbolic here. I mean, literally, we have to re- we have to reconnect to a black consciousness uh, that's not just about anti-race uh anti-white um uh, anti-racist we need a black consciousness that is purely about black development apart from what white people do that's what garveyism did white supremacy was always the backdrop 
but black people were on the ground with their hands on the plow wherever they were all over America. Everywhere was called Harlem of the West, not just San Francisco. People think San Francisco is the only place called Harlem of the West. Everywhere west of Harlem, from, west, from Harlem to San Francisco to Los Angeles, was called Harlem of the West because Garveyism poured out from Harlem, um, and including the Jamaican influx, and it poured out from Harlem. It had moved up from the south, the migration, and poured back out throughout the Midwest and throughout the south and throughout the, uh, throughout the west. And that Garveyism was the framework that black people used to develop Wall Street, Black Wall Street, uh, black, um, black Tulsa, you know, uh, Mount Bayou, Mississippi, um, black towns like Rosewood. That was Garveyism. And we abandoned our Garvey ideology after World War II when we came out with a more integrationist framework. We were in World War I and World War II, Garveyite. We came out talking about, I have a dream. And I think it's that transition right there. And I appreciate the brother calling and giving some historical context about the Hayes-Tilden compromise because it didn't happen overnight. You know, this, this, this is an evolution. A, a realignment in a party system takes about 68 years. So that's how long it takes usually for one group to switch a party fully. And if you do the math from about the 1870s up until the 1960s, it's about 36 years uh, in between every major election that you have a full party realignment where a major part of the electorate jumps ship to another uh, party. But again, or even if it's women, let's say if women leave the Democrats hypothetically, how, let's, let's pretend the, Repo the Democrats passed the anti-abortion laws and the Republicans benefited from it. Even if women left the Democratic Party because of that and, 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 and jumped into the Republican Party, they, 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 all that would happen is, is the, the opposition would jump out of the Republican Party into the Democratic Party and be anti-women in the Democratic Party. And that's what happened to us. Right now, this is how racist America is. Steve Scalise is being considered the Speaker of the House. This man right. Hold the thought right there, uh, Dr. Taylor. We got to take a quick break. I, I, I don't want you to break your rhythm when you get started talking about Steve Scalise because we want to get into that. Uh, uh, 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. We got to check the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes with Dr. Taylor right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. Good morning again, family. 19 minutes away from the top of the hour with black politics expert, Dr. James Taylor. Dr. Taylor is a political scientist. He's one of the best in the business. He teaches at the University of San Francisco. And the kids out there uh, clamor to get in his classes. Not just black kids. All of them try to get in. Before we go back to him, let me just remind you, the holistic Dr. Stephen Tate is going to be with us. You know, a lot of folks I know, uh, many folks I know have suffering from various health issues. So, you know, if, if you know them or, you, or you're friends with them, have them call in and speak to Dr. Tate. Because Dr. Tate, as I mentioned, one of the best in the business. Some of the folks that you would know, whether it be entertainers, athletes, politicians, athletes, they keep his number on speed dial. 
and he's going to, you can get him for free because we had him adjust his schedule so he can be on with us later this week. Also, we're going to celebrate Dick Gregory's birthday with one of his sons. If you had a Dick Gregory touched you, we got a Dick Gregory story. We'd love to hear from you later this week. So make sure your Raiders locked in tight on 1010 WOLB in Baltimore and in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Before we left, Dr. Taylor, we're telling us about Steve Scalise. So what should we know about Steve Scalise? Well, well, actually, before I even talk about Scalise, I want to Your phone is going in and out on us. Okay, I found Brother Siddiqui and his, um, you know, ideas about what alternatives we could develop as black people. Um, I think what you heard Brother Siddiqui talking about earlier um, in terms of the Million Man March, everything he said about the Million Man March is true. The effect it had, all of it, everything he mentioned was true. Some of it was, you know, about Farrakhan, like the World's Friendship Tour, when he went around saying he was a Jesus for our times and, you know, that, you know, he had become our, 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 our basically our savior, you know, for this time. And he put a lot of people off Farrakhan did with that talk, but there was more black volunteerism. There was more black adoptions. There was 1.5 million new black votes. And tragically, they went over to the Democratic Party and helped Bill Clinton get reelected. And Bill Clinton oversaw the, era- the erasure of affirmative action on his watch. Um, you know, that's the problem. Is Farrakhan, I've always said this, and I've written about this in many places, mobilized black folk for the Million Man March to do nothing. He had promised a third force. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, an independent party. Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam promised in 1972 at the Gary, Indiana Convention they were going to create a third force, and they didn't. And then he tried. He said it again 25 years later at the Million Man March. And there ain't nobody else in America who can tell you that. Farrakhan promised twice to build, to build an independent third force. He didn't call it a party. He called it a third force at the Million Man March. But he also did it in 72 at Gary. And the Nation of Islam has never built that political fulcrum that they could be if they wanted to. They just never have. All right. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll do it this time around because at one time they were apolitical. They weren't involved in politics. At least they, they've, they've changed that stance. OK, I think we lost uh, Dr. Taylor. Uh, I think his call job. So we'll get back to Dr. Taylor in a moment. I was wondering what happened there. Anyway, 800-450-7876. Speak to Dr. Taylor. Dr. Taylor is exposing what he says, the anti-black attitudes of the Democratic Party. Also, he's going to discuss uh, California Governor Newsom's selection to replace Dianne Feinstein. And we're talking about the, the, uh, the, the Democrats and, and the Republicans. People say they're, they're both the different wings of, of the same of the same bird. And, and people have said that before so many times, but, you know, uh, and, they, and they're ch- trying to say that we should ch- choose the lesser of two evils. And people say, no, they don't want to get involved with evil. So, right. Dr. Taylor, I'll explain your thought. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. 
Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They're independent people, like Ricky Dillon, um, you know, who's a, a popular blogger, um, who, are trying, who, point, who are pointing out the contradictions and how the Democratic Party has done this since the 60s and 70s, where they come in our community, mobilize us, get us excited, you know, come and kiss a black baby or two, and we never see them again when it comes to government, when it's time to govern. They tend to include us in the electoral coalitions, but they tend to exclude us in the governing coalitions. And that's where the Democratic Party shows its racism. Specifically in California, Northern California Democrats dominate the state and they dominate the country's party, Democratic Party. And, and again, I want the audience to understand this is not simply a you know, comparison of the two. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the general uh, alignments of the party ideologically over time, which is what the one brother offered. Um, uh, you know, I think we should wake up black civil society apart from our party voting and elections. Apart from that, there are many other areas of black life that we that require our attention. And that's what I'm saying. Like when black when, when they when DeSantis, you know, cuts out black books, we need people to, to, to open up black bookstores. You know, we need people to get online and do things that provide alternatives for us. Black people in our history have always had a sense of we. We. We are we. Us. We are us. We. And I think, you know, with integration, over time, integration killed the Garveyism in us. Carl, I learned this recently, that Black Wall Street was not, Black Wall Street in Greenwood, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, was destroyed. Uh, by racism and killed by the violence because black folk were doing too well and the white folk were jealous that they were mediocre. And, and then black folk were so amazing. They rebuilt Black Wall Street after it was burned down in 1921. And then integration killed it over the next 40 years. Integration killed Black Wall Street, not the racism that burned it down. After it burned down, they rebuilt it. And then integration killed it. Integration has killed every instinct black people had for their survival. We don't even have a Malcolm X heart anymore. We don't have Ella Baker's heart anymore. We don't have uh, Fannie Lou Hamer's heart anymore. Those were independent thinking black people. And the independent mind should not lead you to become uh, a Charleston white Confederate flag wearing, Kanye Confederate flag waving, uh, uh, sexy red Donald endorsed uh, Donald Trump endorsing uh, kind of Negro. Just because you are independent does not need, need you need to join the races. That's not the alternative. We've got to create black alternatives, not uh, 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 you know sellout alternatives. You look at you know, all these people online, and, and Ronald Walters, the great Maryland and Washington D.C. Howard University uh, political scientist, talked about the fact that uh, an increasing number of black people was lined up with the conservatives because Jesse and Al and others liberals had the liberal lane shut down for 50, 60 years. So these young entrepreneurs with social media, they're willing to sell their souls. They're willing to be a man bites dog Negro with their comments about us like Candace Owens. But now you've got uh, that little tacky black girl named uh, Sexy Red talking about we need more people like Donald Trump. And these Negroes say this stuff because they're being paid by conservatives. Tariq Nasheed. Tariq Nasheed is a sellout. This brother is so negative on everybody black on earth. 
if you black, Tyreek Nasheed only like you if you from his home his hometown. If you from another part of the country, if you from another part of the world, if your great grandfather got dropped off in Jamaica or Africa or, or Dominican Republic by mistake or Puerto Rico or uh, Haiti, this Negro hates you, and he calls himself a foundational Black American, and him and his people adults can't even get their stuff together. They call themselves being an alternative. That's not an alternative because all they are is clowns being paid, making money, you know, so they can you know have side pieces and nice cars. You know, that's a child's game. We're men. That's a boy's game at this point. We are men. And if you're still trying to get rich and famous so you can have women on the side and extra cars and extra house, that's childish. A man ain't about that kind of thing. And if Tariq Nasheed was ever serious, he would do something more than talk about hidden figures and the, uh, the, the, the museum of the unknown soldiers or whatever he calls it, uh, the, you know, the hidden figures museum down there. He wants us to know about Biddy Mason. Okay, we know about Biddy Mason. We don't need a museum, Tariq, in, in L.A. to tell us about Biddy Mason because we already knew about Biddy Mason. We already knew about um, Charlotte Bass. We don't need you to tell us who Charlotta Bass was. We know that sister ran the NACP and UNIA and told Barbie Harlem wasn't radical enough like L.A. was. So what you're going to do, put that on the wall, I just told the people. So right. you know, well, let me jump in and, 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 and ask you this question, though, uh, 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 as, as far as the Democratic Party is concerned. You call that a lot of names there. Let, let me ask you this question. Can can the black segment of the Democratic Party be like the Tea Party is in the Republican and and have that kind of control? Can, can Do you think no. the black electorate inside the party no. can do that? You know, and, and that's the thing is I've talked to, you know, a political scientist who recently passed about this. And we felt like blacks are too civilized to act that ignorant. They, they, they wouldn't act like they did on January 6th. They won't act like they did in the Tea Party on Obama in 2010. And the Tea Party really ended the Obama presidency in 2010 with that midterm setback. And Obama never fully recovered. He was reelected, but he never had another policy issue apart from the original one, which was health care. Well, what did Obama accomplish in the second um, uh, term? Most people can't tell you, except gay marriage. That's what he got. But the first time he got the health care thing, but he spent so much political capital on it that the Tea Party opposition ended the Obama presidency basically in a year and a half. And then Obama never fully, after 2010, he stuck around to 2016. Tell me what he did for the next six years. You can't tell me. You can't point to a policy issue. There are few, but nothing, you know, magnanimous. And so what I'm suggesting, I'm going to go back again. We need to revive what the Panthers revived. What Garvey revived, um, black independent thinking, with with the focus on black issues and black interests, whether it's healthcare, uh, juvenile delinquency, senior citizens, uh, literacy, education in general, um, foster care. Uh, we in the San Francisco Reparations Committee named 111 issue areas, and cash was just one of them. If we don't get cash and still got the other 110 issue areas called, it would transform black life and it would transform white life in America because if we're better, they're going to be better, right? So our issues uh, that we have in general are outlined in the reparations agendas everywhere they are established. In San Francisco, we had a 300-page report after two years. In Sacramento, representing the whole state, uh, there was a 1,400-page report in two different uh, installations. So that's about 
15 to 1700 pages of documentation of the injury of what happened to black people in California. There is no alternative argument. Only a racist could oppose reparations now. And that, I've said that publicly. And if you oppose reparations, you are a racist. If you oppose black reparations, it's because you're a racist, even if you're black. Because there are about 23% of blacks that oppose reparations. They are anti-black black people. You cannot be... Right. Um, hold that thought right there, and we're going to expand on that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break, and I got a couple of tweets for you. Uh, one tweet is, is a good example of the Democrats' disrespect for black voters. is Tim Kaine. Black people put him in office, and this is down in Virginia, right. and he voluntarily stepped out early to appease his white voters and didn't support the building of the first black-owned resort in Richmond. And that's going on. This is part of the, uh, the what uh, Radio One's involved in. Let me give you the name because uh, Ms. Hughes was on here uh, last week mentioning that. Uh, K- Tim Kaine's number is 202-224-4024. That's his, uh, his D.C. number is, is uh, in uh, the capital. And in Fredericksburg, that's his local office, 540-369-7667. Let him know, you know, why people want jobs in Richmond. So, and you who are listening to in Richmond, you know what to do. But as I mentioned, we've got to step aside and get caught up on the latest traffic and weather and the news in Baltimore. I'll be back in four minutes, though, at, at six away from the top of the hour. I'm 1010 WOLB in Baltimore and the DMV run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Keep Thank you, morning again, family. Many down at the top there with black politics expert, Dr. James Taylor. Dr. Taylor, if you explain to us uh, Newsom's selection to replace Diane Feinstein, but before you do that, though, how can blacks in the Democratic Party leverage their power to get what they want for the black community? How can they bypass the black gatekeepers who are in the, and you know who they are, when I mention the names, who are in the Democratic Party, who tell the, the party hierarchy, hierarchy what black people want? and basically try to keep us in check. So we've somehow we've got to bypass those those brothers and, and sisters who are there and and, and let them know what we want. Yeah, I think you know Dr. Claude Anderson has provided a lot of uh, information about that reality, about our relationship to the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and to whites in general. And he says because we don't have any power, they're able to play games with us politically. But you know, power is something that can be gained. Uh, and as we continue to, you know, gain uh, in, in areas of, of wealth and, you know, property and things of that sort in the South, uh, and as our numbers migrate more to the South, as we have been since 1970, for the past 53 years, we've been migrating back home. And I think we have to take advantage of those places and fight the Republicans where they have gerrymandering. We have to challenge them. Look at what happened in Alabama recently. Black folk in Alabama cha- challenged the racist gerrymandering and black Alabama won. And now black people in Alabama have more power. Um, you know, I'm not from there, but from what I've read from California, they got, they gained power uh, as, as an electorate. We have to challenge wherever the racism is in the South, where our numbers are large, we got to chase the racist policing away. We got to chase the racist governing away. That's what we have to do. Uh, if you're going to play in the system, but I, I want to reiterate to the original question, what are our alternatives? And I'm saying that black uh, civil society is our alternative. Black civil society is what the breakfast programs and the survival programs were for the Black Panther Party. Nothing more, nothing less. Take care of ourselves. Yes, the government is responsible. Yes, we do pay taxes and deserve the services of the state. But in the meantime, 
We also have to continue to develop independent alternatives, independent institutions, independent media, um, independent, you know, uh, uh, you know, online, you know, social media, um, and continue to advocate, you know, our preferred policy issues. We black policy questions and issues in America are not that different than anybody else's issues. We just tend to have more of a urgency around certain issues. But we don't have any magical black issues that white people don't have, or Mexicans don't have, or Asians don't have. But because of the way the system distributes. We are always on the short end of that stick, and we always end up having to scream louder than everybody else to get a return on that system. I'm saying black people need to go back into their roots, look at their ancestors of the last 70 years, and look at what they created. Martin Luther King and the preachers in, uh, in um, Atlanta or Montgomery, they created an independent institution. It didn't survive King's death, SCLC. Right, it, it, you know, Joe, Joseph Larry continued on in it, but SCLC, NAACP, Urban League—they all died on April fourth, nineteen sixty-eight, when Martin Luther King died. But in terms of their effectiveness, they really did, and we really have not had the same kind of independent-mindedness that our ancestors had. Like I said, you read the, the political science of Haynes Walton Jr. out of Savannah State, and then he went to Michigan. And this brother wrote so much about black parties, black party identification, independent parties, black Republican parties, the black and tan Republicans. I've said this on your show before. Black people between Lincoln and FDR were no longer Lincoln Republicans. They had already broken from Lincoln and the Republicans right away because they were racist. And by the Hayes-Children Compromise that the brother mentioned in 1876, the job was largely complete. But what black people did is they didn't run to the Democrats. They started creating independent uh, uh, alternatives. And I'm asking, I guess, Carl, why were our ancestors who had less resources willing to step out on faith and create independent institutions uh, than, our, than we have since 1980? Since Jesse Jackson ran for president, black folk abandoned the idea of an independent party. Again, Google it, you're going to see, you know, the million more, the million more, move, uh, million more voters the brother used to call on your show. Every time I was on your show, he would call in and talk about the million more voters. And I'm like, first of all, that name is too clumsy to get anything behind it. The million more movement, you know, the million more, you know. And I'm like, brother, let's change the name. You know, it's something we all can say. Um, and then we can talk about his politics. But again, I'm not interested in these um, penny ante efforts, where it's usually some ego, of, you know, preaching loud and getting followers, but they don't ever deliver on the independence that they keep preaching on. So I'm tired of these Negroes. Harold Cruz was tired of these Negroes, you know, always talking. Black people do one thing real good. We can talk and we can sing and, 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 and you know, and emote. But my point to you is that what we need to create is a new mindset. And I'm not talking about a Hebrew Israelite mindset or a 5% mindset or a Nation of Islam mindset or a black Democrat mindset or a black conservative mindset. I'm talking about a black consciousness that black people consolidated around in the past, and it's still there in our, in, in, latent in all of us. The question is, can we revive that consciousness? Because Black Lives Matter, what it did, it woke everybody up and turned everything about transgender and sexuality. Black Lives Matter started off as a black movement around police brutality of heterosexual men and heterosexual women, and it pivoted to something later. 
right, uh, to a different emphasis. So that is not the consciousness that sustains all black people. Black folk will follow that for so long until they open the, uh, the roof and look at what's inside it. And when they open it and find April Tomato and Alicia Garza and the other one, they don't like what they see. Um, so my point is, we have to develop something like a Garvey a movement or Garveyism or the Panthers programs. I think every black person who is able physically and mentally to do anything in any issue area of, that is related to black people's policy preferences, like health care, um, uh, you know, non-anti-racist policing, um, you know, juvenile justice, all the things I mean before. We need every black person who has capability and their so-called allies to rise up behind those issues. So there's not one issue. We don't, we don't need to put all our eggs in the Democratic Party. And we don't need to put all our eggs in elections. We need to be thinking about all the other things in other areas of life, but we also need to have a party strategy too. But the other areas have to be just as important in the program as elections. It can't be that we're only about elections. Oh, black people are only about the two parties. No, that limits our ability to meet the needs of our people in all the areas that both parties neglect. So we have to figure out but how to get back an independent mindedness that you saw in Ella Baker, that you saw in um, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, when they said, well, we, we, can't, we, the, we can't join the racist Democrats, so let's beat them. And they beat them. And of course, LBJ sold them out in 1964. Um, and, but Jesse, when Jesse runs in 80, black people had done from Gary up into Philadelphia from 72 to 81, black people continued to try to build a independent party infrastructure from Gary until Jesse ran in 80, uh, uh, 80, uh, 84. Um, but right around that time, Jesse jumped from Gary. Jeff, uh, Je Jesse was there at Gary talking about his nation's time. And just for the record, yesterday was Jesse Jackson's birthday. Um, he was talking, it's nation time. And then what he did was he ran to the McGovern camp and became a solid Democrat and wedded black people to the Democrats. It, Ron Walters tried to get Jesse Jackson as his advisor, the political science professor at the University of Maryland and Howard. Ron Walters tried to advise, told Jesse to run an independent party the first time in 84, and Jesse ran as a Democrat. And that destroyed, that destroyed the independent spirit black people had. Jesse killed it when he decided right. to run as a Democrat against, against uh, Reagan and use their party structure instead of the independent party structure that they were trying to build since Gary, Indiana. So I, I, right. so I, I honestly say black Democrats killed the independent black spirit of black people. And, All right, and, hold that thought, there, Doc, because we got a bunch of folks want to talk to you. I got tweets and people on hold got questions for you. You, you stirred up a hornet's nest. Let's go first to line one. Money Mike's in Baltimore has a question for you. Money Mike, good morning. You're on with Dr. Taylor. Good morning, Dr. Money Taylor. Mike. Yes, sir. Yeah, I have them. Yes. Look, how can we get this message out to the masses? Now, I understand we're trying to do it on talk radio, but the majority of people aren't hearing this message. Second question is why, why don't we have lobbyists? I mean, political lobbyists. Every other group has a lobbyist in Washington, D.C., because that's how the game is played. You got to get to the politicians and you get to them with money. Martin Luther King was founded, was uh, supported by a gentleman in North Carolina by, JC, by the name of J.C. Gaston. He did it because they would have killed him. He did it covertly because if, they, if the party, if racists knew that he was funding Martin Luther King, they would have killed him. 
So we don't right. give money. We don't contribute. Our black churches, right. we don't even support the black church. How can we change that narrative? Thanks, Mike. I think that's part, I think that's part of the larger framework of, of consciousness I'm talking about. Again, Black Lives Matter and the Million Man March, between those two events, black consciousness after black power is still very vibrant. It will be here 60 years from now. It will be here 150 years from now. Black consciousness is as natural to be in America as racism is. So as long as there's racism, there's going to be black consciousness in some form. It will, it's required of us for survival. And that's why, the, you know, again, I'm saying the way we take care of us is to turn inward towards us and only deal with them when we have to. That's the alternative. That's what the Garveyites did. Deal, deal with them if you have to go to work. Deal with them if you have to deal with them at the bank. Deal with them if you have to deal with the way our grandparents dealt with them. Our grandparents knew how to survive encounters with them. And that's what we got to learn to do. But we have to become strategic. And, when, and I know there are plenty of people out there. Uh, and so the answer to the brother is, again, why are we doing less now with more? Why don't we have one third good marshal who did more than all the, there are so many more brilliant lawyers than third good marshal on the scene that are black now, young ones. A third good marshal today would not be an exceptional black lawyer. He would be a good black lawyer. He would not be a, you know, all time great lawyer like he's considered by some black folk, even though he was a spy for the FBI or Martin Luther King. We could talk about that separate in, in, in third good marshal's reputation, but let's be clear. My point is not about to condemn Thurgood Marshall. It's to ask a 29-year-old, a 44-year-old black woman lawyer right now, how in the hell um, could Constance Baker Motley and, and, um, and Thurgood Marshall do more 60 years ago than you're doing today when you got the witness of their accomplishments? You see, you're like Kobe watching Jordan. You're supposed to be just as good. You like Kobe watching Jordan. You're supposed to be just as good. You've seen what Thurgood Marshall did, and here you are in 2023 with your Howard Law degree or your University of Georgia Law degree, and you ain't doing a damn thing for black people except making sure you got your credit cards paid, your nice car, your hair done, your nails done, your, your new suit, your shoes shine, but, but you ain't thinking about the people. And my point to you, Carl, is we have way more numerically Young black people like Thurgood Marshall. Why are we doing less now with more? We right. have Hold that thought right there, Doc. We got to take a quick break. Yeah, we got to take a quick break. Let's marinate on that. And we got some more folks want to reach you. 800-450-7876. Dr. Taylor's bowling down somebody's alley right now. We'll be back in, in uh, four minutes, though, at 14 after the hour. We're right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour. Thanks for rolling with us all morning long. It's been another interesting morning. I guess this is Dr. James Taylor. He's a black politics expert. He's a political scientist by trade, teacher at the University of San Francisco. You want to reach him, hit us up at 800-450-7876. That's what Marcus did. Marcus is in Memphis on line two. Good morning, Marcus. You're on with Dr. Taylor. Yes, Carl. Good morning and good morning, Dr. Taylor. Yes, sir. You know, Dr. Taylor, I'm glad you are you are expounding the name of Marcus Garvey because Marcus Garvey had the solution for African people. Um, what we must also remember, it was a Jewish judge by the name of Judge Julian Mack, 
and a Jewish prosecutor that sent Marcus Garvey to jail, that sent him to prison. And now these people are coming and aligning themselves with black people, talking about, oh, let's fight oppression together, when they themselves were oppressing black people. So right. my question to you, Dr. Keeler, is, we have been here 400 years. 400 years is long enough to know. If there was any human relationship to be worked out with these people, couldn't we have done it in 400 years, Dr. Taylor? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No, because I think we humans, H-U-E-M-A-N-S. And I think they're um, Caucasians. Um, and I think we humans, and I spell human with the E, meaning hue, man, H-U-E, man. That's what the real meaning, I think, is that the hue man is the dark man and the dark woman of the earth. And the rebel of the earth is the white man. And he's been around for 8,000 years. He's evolved out of us eventually. A nation of Islam teaches the Yakub history, but I think it is consistent with, with scientific fact. That and you can Google right now, white skin, 8,000 years old, Harvard, and watch an article come up and say white skin is only 8,000 years old. We got countries that are older than 8,000 years old that have died and come back a couple of times uh, in 8,000. That ain't nothing. We are an ancient people. We are the, the originators of this earth. We are the fathers and mothers of this earth. And the beauty of our awakening, one of the good things about the Internet is it's challenging a lot of the paradigms that we all receive. And even if there's a lot of bad information, a lot of white noise out there, there's still some truths getting through. And I think we have got to use the technology available to us, use the social media, use the Internet to deconstruct everything in front of us that is an impediment to us. So I think we need to mobilize a black consciousness um, that, again, is already there. The Million Man March proved it. The Black Lives Matter movement proved it. All we got to do is figure out how to properly steer it around our interests. Because, again, I want to I get back before we lose the next hour on why I think the Democratic Party is anti-black. And it has to do with how they have treated black men and women and how they've tried to make everything but blackness the um, most important organizing principle for black people. So this sister gets appointed, LaFonza Butler gets appointed, and I don't mean to offend you people in Maryland. Baltimore, I love you all. You know, I love Baltimore. I love D.C. I love, the, you know, the BMI. Um, but y'all can keep that sister, LaFonza Butler, in, in Maryland. We don't need her. Uh, just like y'all don't need me or, or Barbara Lee sending you a California politician trying to pretend she's from Maryland, we damn sure don't need Gavin Newsom giving us a, a Maryland politician and a Maryland uh, lesbian activist and trying to act like she represents black interests. Listen to this call. We're in California. Black people are not organizing around LBGTQ. 
They're not organizing around labor. They do as individuals, but as a group, they organize around things of their interest as black people, like anti-police violence, right? Uh, Anti-police, you know, abuse and brutality. Um, and, and, And the trick is that Gavin Newsom appointed this woman that don't nobody here know. She's somebody who nobody sent. And in Chicago, they said that about Obama. Just like a Taji Brown Jackson on the Supreme Court. Where'd she come from? These Negroes are Negroes that nobody sent. Martin King didn't send them. Ella Baker didn't send them. Louis Farrakhan didn't send them. Ronald Walters didn't send them. So where are they coming from? Right? These are highly educated, Ivy League educated young black people who have no connection to the civil rights movement. That's okay. That's a generational phenomenon. But when you, when you are in a state where reparations is the black issue, and then you appoint a black you, you and then you appoint a black woman to the Senate, and that black woman don't say a damn thing about reparations yet. She's been sworn in. She represents black California. She's a black woman. What the hell is she there for if she ain't gonna talk about black? Is she gonna be just another smiling Negro with a neutral position, a moderate position? We might as well have kept white men in her position because she being black is irrelevant and her being gay is irrelevant to black people. Whether you gay or well, let me jump in and ask you this question, though, identity, uh, Doc. Identity could, could, is irrelevant. Right. Let me jump in and ask you this question. Did he do it because he's, you know, he's friends with Adam Schiff? Adam Schiff wants to run. He did it because and he's Bob, a racist. Do you think he did it, though, so, so that, he, that whenever, whenever the race starts, that she'll take votes from yes. Barbara Lee and, yes. and Adam Schiff will go in? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let me explain this. I was in USA Today newspaper this week, and I openly said, Gavin Newsom, I had always respected him until he did this to Barbara Lee. What he did to Barbara Lee was a political lynching. He destroyed her political career right in front of us. She's already dead. She just don't know her head being cut off. But he cut her head off. When he said, I'm going to nominate a black woman, he got that from Biden, who did that with Katanji Brown Jackson. Well, that's, that's perfect. That's, that's what the parties are supposed to do. When you vote for the party, you're supposed to get the spoils. You're supposed to get the appointments. You're supposed to get the jobs. You're supposed to get the contracts. You are supposed to get something for helping a party win. Bush gave $3 billion to the white churches, the evangelicals, in 2004. When he won, Bush from 2004 to 06, Bush took care of three, gave $3 billion to the, the evangelicals. That's, that's the game. And Katanji Brown, I'm, I'm sorry, Katanji Brown Jackson's appointment is a return for what Clyburn did what black folk did in South Carolina and saving Biden and reviving him, making him viable and, and saving him in Georgia. Biden owes black people what he promised on TV when he was talking to Charlemagne the God that time. He caused so much controversy when he said, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. He also said in that same uh, uh, stupid speech, he said that I'm going to um, promote a black agenda, a black manifesto. That's what he said. He said black manifesto. He, you know, I'm sure he was stumbling on what he meant, but Biden promised a black agenda. Look, these people are playing games with us. Bernie, Bernie made an excellent, for eight years, Bernie made the campaign for repar- uh, the case for reparations. He admitted that black people were on the low end of every measure he was talking about when he was promoting the 1% versus the 99%. Black people were disproportionately in the 99%, but Bernie would not advocate reparations, and black folk rose up against him um, uh, for that reason. Only one person was advocating reparations in California openly in terms of uh, major, major politicians, and her name was Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee openly is in support of reparations. Can somebody from Maryland, from Baltimore, who knows this sister, email me and let me know she supports reparations? Because I don't think she does. 
I doubt very seriously she does. Let me, let me tell you something. Go on the Office of the Governor's website right now, Gavin Newsom's, and all you're going to see is all him lying. He put all these statements out from, it says, prominent black, comma, LGBTQ, comma, and elected leaders praise Governor Newsom's decision to appoint LaFonza Butler to the U.S. Senate. That's a damn lie. Gavin Newsom got a bunch of black Democrats to say what black Democrats would say about anybody. You, you, it could have been you, Carl. If they would have appointed you, they would say the same thing about you that they said they saying about her. She's irrelevant to the, the, what's really going on here. This is racism, openly. And not just racism, but anti-black woman racism. And black women are getting played by the Democratic Party against each other. Look at this. Somebody out there, please, explain to me. Why did Gavin Newsom even say to anybody publicly, I'm going to appoint a black woman to the United States Senate? Why didn't he just keep that to himself? Because that solved the problem. Then Barbara Lee is not left out hanging to dry. But he, he hung her out to dry by saying, I'm going to appoint a black woman. Well, there's only one black woman well-known in California, apart from Maxine Waters and Barb, uh, 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 London Breed in uh, San Francisco and Karen Bass in L.A. is Barbara Lee. And Barbara Lee been on the scene. She's 77 years old. But what, the racism is this, Carl. Like you said, who did Nancy Pelosi endorse in the U.S. Senate race in California this time between Porter, Schiff, and Lee? She, she supported uh, Adam Schiff, right? Now, all of a sudden, Gavin Newsom. Now, now let's, let's deal with this first. This first piece of anti-black women Democrats in the Northern California first. Because it's going to come back and bite Kamala. And Kamala helped do this to Barbara Lee because this woman, uh, LaFonza Butler, ran her campaign and Kamala swore her in. But Kamala don't know what they're doing to Barbara Lee is about to happen to Kamala. Kamala, you should listen to me. Because you are being played, because you played Barbara Lee with Gavin, and they about to play you because you're the only black girl left on the street. And you stupidly allowed yourself to be used. Biden used you. And Biden used Kamala Harris. He used California. He, removed, he made sure Barbara Lee would not be appointed. Why? Because Barbara Lee is the one woman who stood up against George Bush and the whole war in 2001. Do you think if Barbara Lee is allowed to stand in the Senate that she ain't going to condemn Ukraine? That she ain't going to talk about the $180 billion we done gave to Ukraine when there's a national reparations movement in America and Biden ain't said a damn word about reparations? Look, Cornell West is running a campaign. I'm asking the audience, why is Cornell West running for president if he ain't talking about reparations? His city, Sacramento, has a reparations movement. His state, with the headquarters in Sacramento, has a statewide movement. L.A., Oakland. Sacramento, Berkeley, Los Angeles, all have reparations committees set up. New York State is the second state behind California. Corey Bush just came up with a $13 trillion reparations proposal. So how is this black woman that everybody's all excited about, LaFonza Butler, the senator in the state, the main state in the world that is doing reparations or talking about it, but this black woman just got appointed, but she ain't said a damn thing about reparations. But I guarantee you, if you go on Gavin Newsom's page, every other word, you won't see one word about – there are hundreds of endorsements right now on, of this woman on this page, on Gavin Newsom's page. You won't find the word black anywhere. Everybody who's endorsed her is talking about her gayness or her acumen or her Emily's list, but ain't a damn thing about her being black. So these are the kind of um, – uh, what do they call them? 
uh, candidates, those uh, those like robot camera candidates, they call them stealth, uh, stealth, uh, Mancurian, Mancurian, stealth. Yeah, because think about this: she's somebody that nobody sent. They lied and said she had California ties because she has a house out here, and she has um, she was on the UC board of trustees. And Emily's list is a big list of women politicians. This is bunk because none of it has anything. Emily's list ain't got nothing to do with being black. And everything she's done ain't got nothing to do with being black. All she is is black. But her politics ain't black. Her politics are gay. And there are black people who are gay listening. And I do not mean to offend you, brother or sister. I support you. But I'm talking about politics, not, not identity. I'm talking about how she is using black identity as a Trojan horse, but her politics are, are red or the rainbow, the rainbow color. And I'm not talking about the rainbow coalition, the rainbow color. Here's the deal. It's just like Obama did it. Obama got in on black voting. He became the first openly gay president, you know, supporting uh, your transgender identity, et cetera. That's how we got what we are with transgender is from Obama and, and Black Lives Matter. Those two movements came from black people's desire to have a better reality, and it pivoted to something else. And they're doing it again with this appointment. Barbara Lee, right, was the logical appointment for Gavin Newsom. But he puts her right. on the rope. He puts a noose around her neck. When he says publicly, I'm going to nominate a black woman, there was only one to really pick from as far as most Californians were concerned. And Carl, I said this in news interviews before he made the appointment of LaFonza Butler. I'll tell you hold that thought, Doc, because we got to take a quick break here. I'll let you finish that. We got a bunch of folks sure. got questions for you, but but uh, Lafonso Butler, by the way, lives right here in Sing- Silver Spring, Maryland, right where the station is, uh, twenty six minutes away from the top. They are, I guess, is uh, Doctor Doctor Taylor, Doctor James Taylor. Wow, we're gonna come back in four minutes. So we wrap up after we take a look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities right here in Baltimore on ten ten WOLB and also in the DMV on FM ninety five point nine and AM fourteen. 50 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 19 away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. James Taylor. Before we go back to Dr. Taylor, let me remind you, coming up in the next few days, you're going to hear from a holistic Dr. Stephen Tates, also Doctor of Clinical Psychology. Uh, Jeff Menches will be with us. And also, we're going to salute Dick Gregory. We're going to have to talk about Greg's birthday coming up this weekend. Some of our memories of Greg, Dick Gregory with one of his children right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. As I mentioned, Doc, got a lot of questions for you, a lot of callers a lot of tweets. So let me do this one because this one was real early. This is Brother Leroy in Louisiana. And he says, a uh, question for Dr. Taylor. We continue to have candidates like Jeff Landry, who is the Louisiana Attorney General, who is in the leading, who is the leading candidate for governor. He's a cross between Trump and DeSantis. He's expected to win. And the question is why people like him resonate so much in the white community, even if he is not the best person for the job. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Because David Duke was first. That's why. That's the answer to that question. David Duke did it first in the same place, 1990s and, and early 2000s. There's a lot of racism in this country, a lot of anti-black racism. There's a lot of white ignorance. Um, what, we know black people don't need, well, we need education, too, around our issues. But, you know, white people are the most ignorant around black people's issues. They think they're the smartest people in the world, but they're dumb when it comes to us. They don't know anything. They can get SAT scores and they can, you know, get bar exam and all that. But when it comes to knowledge about black people, white people get just dumb and silent and confused and, and, and upside down. Um, and act like they got, you know, some kind of condition. But I want to, because we're running out of time, I want to get this in. This woman, to me, uh, LaFonza Butler, is a carpetbagger. She's a carpetbagger sent from Maryland to California. And I love the people, the black people of Maryland and, the, and that whole area. But y'all don't want Californians representing y'all issues because a Californian who just live over there occasionally does not understand what it's like to be in Baltimore. They don't know what it's like. And they can't represent your issues because they're outsiders coming in. This woman is somebody that nobody sent. And Barbara Lee was already here. And I said, Carl, before we took the break, that what I gave in a new, uh, USA Today interview this week, I called Gavin Newsom a racist openly. And I said, he, before this became public, his appointment, I said the day before, they will not be able to find one black woman in the whole state of California, north or south, that will take this job because it's Barbara Lee's. And black women have closed ranks against the California Democrats. Now, what I need to get in real quick is that this is part of a larger framework. You've got to remember what they did to London Breed. London Breed became mayor in December of 2017 when Ed Lee had a heart attack at the store and died. She became the mayor for like the next six months. They uh, took her, they voted her out overnight and shocked the world and removed her. The city council did. So they didn't, give, they didn't want to give her the uh, advantage of incumbency because she was running for the, the subsequent mayoral race. They did that to her, and it backfired because it, showed, it made them look bad. Um, and, and so them removing London Breed actually helped her win, right? But what they would talk, these are Democrats that did this. They removed a black woman, and even black women deserve every unfair advantage they can get. Black women deserve every unfair advantage they can get, especially in politics, because when women run for office call, they start off with limited resources, limited institutional support. They usually got to start off a city council, board of education, work their way to mayor, maybe get to congressperson, maybe to Senate if you're lucky, and, and hire. But it doesn't start at the Senate. Don't start at governor. It don't, it don't start at mayor. It starts local for women in most, in most politics. When you look at um, uh, what, what, what has happened here is you got a situation where Gavin Newsom brought somebody in from the outside who has no ties to the state and no ties to the real people of the state. And he, he put Barbara Lee out there on the limb by saying, I'm going to appoint a black woman. So Barbara Lee was asking. Now, the first thing happened is Nancy Pelosi refused to appoint Barbara Lee to number three in power when they came into power. I think it was in 2020 um, uh, when Biden was elected. She appointed Hakeem Jeffries as the number three in power a much younger man from the East Coast. And it angered AOC and the squad, and they publicly confronted Nancy Pelosi for disrespecting Barbara Lee. Black people need to remember, Marsha, Marsha Falk from Ohio, the congresswoman, was so angry at Nancy Pelosi. Black, the CPC, oh, and also for that brother that asked about our lobbying earlier, that's our lobby organization, the CBC. But um, the CBC, um, you know, uh, opposed Nancy Pelosi, because remember, she went after Maxine Waters' husband around banking, she went after Charles Rangel, and Nancy Pelosi went after Diane Watson of L.A., these three black politicians, and brought them down for different reasons. And black folk, 
had issues with Nancy going back to the Bush era because that's how she was acting. Nancy will talk about everything but black. I ain't never heard Nancy Pelosi say the word black once in my life, and I've been in San Francisco for 25 years where she is. I've never heard Nancy Pelosi publicly say the word black. Have you? Right? So my point is these white liberals, if you listen carefully, they don't say us. They don't talk about us. They talk multiculturalism. They try to immerse us into everybody else's colors except black, the rainbow coalition, I mean, the, uh, the rainbow flag of the gays. They just started putting black and brown in that flag in the last eight years, right? They hadn't even thought about their black and brown brothers. So if you're gay and you think I'm the one that's hostile, I'm not, brother. I love you if you're gay. Sister, I love you if you're gay. If that's what you choose to be, right? And if that's what you are. <clears throat> but we're talking about political interests here. And what we have here is a situation where the black, the white Democrats of Northern California have been disrespecting black women. They did it to Barbara Lee with the failure to appoint her in the third position of power in Congress with Hakeem Jeffers. And it caused a black reaction. And then they quelled it. They, they shut it up. Black folk closed ranks behind Nancy Pelosi. But they stayed mad. And then Gavin did the same thing. So they removed London Breed in, in San Francisco. That's, that's San Francisco liberals. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't give Barbara Lee the third seat. That's San Francisco liberals. Now let's go to one more San Francisco liberal, Gavin Newsom. So Gavin says, for no good reason, I'm going to appoint a black woman. He didn't have to say that, right? But he did. And when he did that, it put Barbara Lee on the, on the plank in front of everybody in the state. And, and, it, and she's clamoring, saying, well, why not me? So Gavin Newsom, when Kamala Harris became vice president, that seat opened up. Her Senate seat in California opened up. So they want black women were clamoring for that seat to be for a black woman. And that's why Gavin Newsom did this, because black women said, we want to replace Kamala with a black woman. Instead, he gave it to Alex Padilla, the first Mexican. A uh, 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 U.S. senator and Padilla was appointed temporarily, like he's doing for Butler, and just like Butler, he let Padilla run as an incumbent. He wouldn't, and he said recently the reason why he wouldn't appoint Barbara Lee is because he didn't want to give her the unfair advantage of incumbency, and he didn't want to get involved in it. But he did it for Padilla to replace a black woman. So he did it for a Mexican to replace a black woman when he ignored Barbara Lee the first time, and now. Um, he won't do it for a black woman who is Barbara Lee this time. And this is the third time that Gavin Newsom has publicly smacked Barbara Lee and put her out in public to humiliate her. And I ran into. Well, let me jump in here again. Is it personal then, Doc? <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I talked to an extremely prominent black politician who I promised I would not say her name. I was at an event the other night. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones was out here with her book, The 1619 Project. And it was a big black event. So all the black bigwigs were here. And I said to this black politician, what, what's going on between Gavin Newsom and, 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 um, and uh, Barbara Lee? And this politician told me that it had to do with some things that Barbara Lee had said about Gavin that upset Gavin. So Gavin was being racist and petty when he did this to Barbara Lee. And, and he's lost a lot of credibility. And depending upon how he deals with this reparations issue, because we have a 1,200-page report on Gavin Newsom's debt and on this California legislature's debt. What they do in California with reparations is going to have a lot to do with what happens in the world global reparations movement. And uh, I think if the Democrats mishandle reparations, I think Gavin Newsom's going to get a Hillary Clinton surprise. Hillary Clinton was, should be president or, or should have been president in 2016. Nothing Donald Trump did 
frustrated Hillary Clinton's ability to become president. What frustrated Hillary is when young black people whose fathers and mothers have spent the last 25, 30 years in jail rose up in the Black Lives Matter movement, caught her on the campaign, and asked her to articulate what she meant by super predator in 1992, 1994. In 2016, black people punished Hillary. How? She got 88% instead of 92%. And I'm predicting now, as a political scientist, that Gavin Newsom, Biden, not Biden, but Gavin Newsom and Kamala, because Kamala is no more pro-reparations than a white man. Kamala has openly said she ain't doing nothing for us. So nobody on the national scene except Barbara Lee was willing to advocate reparations and, and Cory Bush and, you know, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus does. The Congressional Black Caucus wrote Gavin Newsom and told him as the and, – and for all, those of you who don't appreciate the Congressional Black Caucus – you need to take it seriously because it is our representative body. It represents all black people under the constituencies that are represented by those uh, districts. And those black districts are represented by those black elected officials in the CBC. And I know how it works. The CBC protects us from a bunch of bad legislation that never makes it to the floor. You know how they talk about the Lord protects you from harms seen and unseen? Well, the CBC protects black people from harms unseen. And they need to be given way more credit. But because we are trained and conditioned to hate everything black, we end up talking bad about our black politicians in the CBC. And yet all of those people, if you watch how they conduct themselves, the CBC always conducts itself with dignity. They ain't no Marjorie Taylor Greens amongst black people. There ain't no, what's that other white girl name, the one that was out there peddling her little boyfriend in the movie theater? Ain't none of them, Lauren, Lauren, ain't no black Lauren Bobarts. Ain't nobody black acting like these racists on the right wing. The Congressional Black Caucus is dignified from the top to the bottom. And they have to receive this sister, um, uh, Butler, because she's now one of them. But let's be clear. This woman is not from here. And Gavin Newsom did this to hurt Barbara Lee personally because Gavin Newsom knew if he said, I'm going to appoint a black woman, the implications of that. And it put Barbara Lee out there. And then he said, but not this black woman. So he chose the black woman he wanted but not the black woman the Congressional Black Caucus wanted and black Californians wanted. And now you go online, Gavin Newsom got all these glowing sayings, but I'm asking you black people, how is it that she is a black woman in California where the reparations movement is going on in Sacramento and she ain't said nothing about reparations? All they talk about is her being gay. She is not going to advocate for black people. She can't advocate for black. Go on Gavin Newsom's website and look at all the glorious things they're saying about her, but they ain't saying she represents black people. They say she's a black woman, but they don't say she represents black people. So they describe her identity trying to make us think that's her politics. Her identity ain't her politics. If, if her identity is a politics, it ain't her black identity that's her politics. Her gay identity is her politics. And that is what Gavin Newsom is all into. If you remember, he's the number one politician in American history to support the LGBTQ revolution. The number one behind Harvey Milk is Gavin Newsom. I was here in San Francisco when marriage equality moved from the steps of San Francisco to all over the world. I was here. And Gavin Newsom is the champion of gay rights. So if she was heterosexual, he wouldn't have voted. He wouldn't have chosen her. He chose her because she was black and because she was gay, knowing she will not advocate for black. She will advocate for gay. She will openly advocate for women. She will not advocate for black. She'll say women. She'll say LGBTQ. She will never say reparations. And how in the hell can she get away with that call? Obama got away with it. Look at this call. When Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote the article, the, um, uh, the case of reparations, Obama was president. Obama never made a public statement on reparations. When Ta-Nehisi Coates won the, the, the MacArthur Genius Award on it, and the whole country's talking about reparations, the black politician Obama never said a word. And that's what's going on right now. 
These black Democrats, they are terrible for our people because they are not black first. They are partisan first. And if they're black at all, it's probably fourth or fifth on their checklist, most of these people. And that's the disgusting thing about them is because the only reason they're in power is because they are black and we support them, assuming they're going to support a black agenda. But what they do is use their blackness and get in bed with everybody else politically and physically, and next thing you know, their politics abandon blackness. This woman ain't saying nothing about reparations. Cornell West is running for president. Cornell should be talking about reparations. Right. Otherwise, Cornell ain't nobody but Bernie Sanders in blackface unless he advocates for reparations. Cornell West is from California. How in the hell is Cornell West going around running a campaign without mentioning reparations when it's right. going on in and, and Doc, we're just about flat out of time here. Thank you. You, you, you was on fire this morning. That's all I'm getting from the tweets, from the from most of the tweets I'm getting. But we got to run because we're just flat out of time. I want to thank you for though for sharing this information and bringing to light uh, uh, some of the anti-black attitudes in the Democratic Party. But thank you for sharing that with us this morning. It's going to come back on Kamala Harris in about four years. What she just did to Barbara Lee, they're going to do to her when it comes down to who is going to be the Democrat a front runner. Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom. Gavin is going to, Kamala is going to get what she just did to Barbara right. Lee down to her in about four years. All right. We'll watch for that. Folks, we're out of here. We're late. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.